0: Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. It
1: is one minute after seven, one and a half minutes after seven. What a wonderful way to start seven o'clock. I've got to be fair, love my Pearl Jam. Brilliant Ben Francis, brilliant mate. You've made my night. You've picked me up already um, hard to believe that album 10 is 30-odd years old. Remarkable. One of my favourites, though. One of the great debut albums of all time. There's always the danger when you come up with an album that good first up. How do you better it? How do you continue the evolutionary process? And uh, not an easy thing to do. You two have always somehow found a way of doing it, to be fair. I thought Versus, which was the second Pearl Jam album, was excellent as well. Um, some other really good first-up albums, you've got Um, Counting Crows August and Everything After I think they struggled to match that first album yeah I would agree with that
2: definitely agree with that
1: yeah any others that you can think of
2: in terms of opening albums oh it's really hard because I'd say 10 10 would be my favourite and I so I don't really don't really consider anything else
1: Mm. yeah now Guns N' Roses I mean uh, Appetite for Destruction one of the biggest debut selling albums in history and I think they did pretty well GNR Lies came out which was yeah, which was actually a recording of a lot of songs they'd already done. And then, of course, you had Illusions 1 and 2 and um completely different sound. But November Rain, I mean, just some wonderful, wonderful songs on those two albums. Have you been watching the FIFA Football World Cup, Ben?
2: Yeah, I've, yeah, I've been keeping up with it. It's, didn't see some of those results coming up overnight. I, I must admit, for the first time in a while, I was quite tempted to do a couple of bets. And boy, I'm glad I didn't.
1: Yeah, no, I keep saying to mate, Las Vegas was not built on winners. Be careful, be careful when it comes to sports betting. Yeah, some fascinating results. Costa Rica, now this is the team that beat New Zealand controversially, or maybe we saw it controversially, and got to the World Cup. They were absolutely belted, well and truly, um, in their first game by Spain. Japan had come off beating Germany. Nobody expected Costa Rica really to fare too well against Japan, yet they came away with the 1-0 victory. Then you look at the African nations in North Africa, and for a long time we've been waiting for the African nations to step up and do something, get a FIFA Football World Cup. I think there are 50-odd countries in the continent of Africa, and everyone's been saying, hey, they're the sleeping giant. The African nations get, end up dominating world football, and at FIFA level it just hasn't happened. You've had Senegal, you've had Cameroon, but beyond that it's still been Europe and it's still been the South American countries that have ultimately ended up winning the tournament and sort of dominating quarterfinals onwards. Then we see Saudi Arabia get up and beat Germany. Uh, Not beat Germany, who did Saudi Arabia? Argentina, wasn't it? They ended up beating Argentina. And then Morocco beating Belgium. Now, Belgium for a long time have been the number one ranked football side in the world. 2-0, not 1-0, but 2-0 comprehensive. Belgium, I read, were sort of in two minds. They went out and didn't have the confidence to attack and went into their shell, and that probably ended up costing them. We had Croatia finalists at the last World Cup, uh, beating Canada four goals to one, a very good Canadian side. That doesn't surprise me. Keep an eye on the Croatians. And then a must- win or draw game for Germany, Spain dominating much of that match ended up being a one or draw. So very shortly, we're going to bring you some highlights of all of those games, courtesy of our commentators here on SEN. Daniel McCarty is part of that commentary team as well out of SENZ. We'll also get some audio from different players and different managers. Now, tonight, if you do want to phone the programme, telephone number is 0800 150 811 double one You can text us here too on double eight double three. Now we will talk the Black Caps after eight o'clock. We will talk Australian rugby with Peter Mears after nine. Look back on the Wallaby season. Look back on that come from behind victory over Wales on the weekend. And we'll then catch up with Dale Budge, and we'll look back on Tuatara baseball, the series played over the weekend against the Sydney Blue Sox. Now, um. If you work in a bank, how you get fringe benefits. Probably better interest rates. You reckon? Hundred percent. If you work in a bakery, you probably get free donuts.
2: That sounds pretty. That sounds pretty good.
1: I mean, if you, I'm just trying to think what other jobs have got really cool fringe benefits. Imagine if you work in the airlines, you probably get discounted airfares.
2: Well, it's like anywhere. If you work in any kind of retailer, you'll probably get some form of discount.
1: Well, see, I work on radio, therefore I can give a shout out to my kids, can't I? Sure. Over the weekend, I went up to Omaha to watch a surfing, a surf lifesaving carnival. They all compete for Muriwai, where I live. Um, My little man, Jaden, he was absolutely on fire, absolutely on fire in the under 10 category. Kids are machine in the water. Teamed up with a a, a lovely girl called Ruby, and they won their little relay. And then my daughter, Summer Rose, um, year 11, um, wonderful athlete. And I sound like that over-the-top dad, but I'm not. I'm not that over-the-top dad. Have we got the Wayne Goldsmith stuff? I can grab it. Grab the Wayne Goldsmith stuff because I'm just segwaying here, but I want to play it again because I think parents need to listen to it all the time. I probably need to listen to it sometimes. Uh, but, yeah, did remarkably well in the swim, remarkably well on the boards, and I'm um, really, really proud of both kids. Um, but we're also smart enough to know that um, it can all change in two or three years and these kids can be playing completely different sports you've got it okay so I thought I thought we just might play this because I don't know why we've come up with this now because everyone just needs to listen to this occasionally my wife's just texts me say you're embarrassing the kids because I know they're listening in the car but sometimes you know I can be the guy with the opinion and I cop a lot of abuse but I think it's sometimes nice to humanise yourself, Ben. Let everybody actually know. You know, I actually do have kids. I'm actually a normal person. I'm not quite the rogue. I'm not quite the uh, agitator that sometimes I have a bit of a reputation for. There you go. Um, hey, so look, I'm going to play you this now anyway because I just think it's something for all parents to listen to if you're driving home. Just take note of this because it's... it's. Um, I think all parents sometimes with young kids or teenage kids just need to hear this. Um, when it comes to your kids and when it comes to sport and when it comes to the traits that are ultimately going to end up making your children, your child, successful in sport.
3: So the question is around kids and talent. I want to throw up a model for you to think about, parents, this. First of all, sad to say, for those of you that have got a really precocious talent, if you've got a superstar eight or nine-year-old, There is no such thing as an elite eight-year-old, a high-performance 10-year-old, or a professional 11-year-old, it doesn't happen. It just doesn't, it's it's not in my vocabulary, please get it out of yours. My job from 1992 to the 2000 Olympics was to go around Australia and try and find and identify talented athletes, pull them into a high-performance program and help to get the best out of them for the 2000 Olympics. And in spite of that, and trained as a physiologist, I can't tell you what your eight-year-old's going to do. I have no idea. I can't even tell you what sport they're going to end up in. This year's basketball player is next year's footballer, is next year's butterfly swimmer, is next year's... We don't know. We don't know. But I promise you, specialising them too early is a road to doom. It's a road to doom particularly with young kids. Not only that, don't worship physical talent. Physical talent is a poor indicator of long-term success. Don't be overwhelmed by the 11-year-old that's up against your 11-year-old. Don't be overwhelmed by that. And not only that, if that's your 11-year-old, don't get too excited about it. Take time to build character and values and virtues and integrity and respect and discipline And all the things as a human being that we know will underpin their success in the long term. I'm going to tell you something again that might unsettle some of you. But if you come up to me and say, Wayne, you don't understand, my child is 10, and they are without doubt the best rugby player this country has ever seen at 10. I'll feel sorry for your child. I really will. Because to me, I'd almost bet my own life that that child will never play rugby for this country. Unlikely they'll ever play for the school, certainly never play for the blues. That's how strongly I feel about early talent that's not tempered by the right environment and built to last the time. The model that I use, parents, is this one. Imagine that talent and one other important factor to me will determine long-term success and the capacity of your child to realize the potential. It's this word, commitment. Commitment to me is the defining quality in anyone striving to be the best. I'll talk about that in a moment. Athletes that have no talent and have zero commitment I don't see them because I work mainly with performance athletes. And most of them, unfortunately and sadly, won't be involved in competitive sport. If they have no talent and they don't want to be there anyway, it's unlikely they're going to go too far down the competitive pathway. Up here, the super talent, the big, strong, powerful, agile, good decision maker, great problem solver, the really brilliant, physically gifted athlete who has outstanding, uncompromising commitment to do whatever it takes to be successful. I've seen four or five in 25 years. Four or five, if you think they're sitting at your breakfast table, you've been, you just love them a lot. The only rugby player I've ever seen who falls in that category in my own personal experience is George Gregan. So I had a chance to work with him at the Brumbies and with the Wallabies and he had the total package. Tremendous leadership, discipline, respect, humility, hard work, natural talent, exceptional. And Michael Phelps, who I'll talk about in a moment. In this box, and this is the most important part of this little session bit, the hardest athletes to deal with and the ones that break your heart as a coach And the ones that take up the most of our time are those ones. You know those kids, and we all grew up with them. And you go, this kid could be anything. Oh my, have you seen what they can do? They don't train, they turn up late, and they can score from anywhere. They've had next to no training, but look what they're capable of doing. And they could be anything. But then you see they turn up late, they're never wearing the right gear they've never got a water bottle, they have no respect for anyone, they're giving cheek, they talk back all the way through. And you think, if we could change this, if we could turn them around, if only they trained like this little kid over here who's always here and gives their heart and soul to their sport, if only they were like that, they could be anything. And parents, if you're dealing with one of those, sadly, the kids that people believe could be anything in sporting terms, most of the time end up doing nothing. Those precocious talents who got there easy, who don't have an attitude of commitment and hard work and passion, and who just want to be there, rarely, rarely if ever, achieve the success that you think that they might. i got a really sad story on the Gold Coast. A mum that I know, three boys, and the stories are identical. Super talent, 10, 11, 12 years of age. National champions, not even swimming at 15. The three boys, four years apart, exactly the same pattern. Big kids, strong kids, powerful kids, but undisciplined. Poor attitude, disrespectful, late. Bullies. No character, no value, no quality other than this great physical ability. And it happened with the oldest boy, and they didn't see it. And it happened with the second boy, and they still couldn't see it. And the third one has just given up swimming after winning four national titles. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see it. Don't worship physical talent. Believe it or not, the majority of athletes I work with, even at professional level, are not untalented. They've got some talent, but they're just driven and passionate. And committed.
4: Yeah,
1: keep saying it. That um, the greatest ingredient you can have as an athlete is passion and desire. Uh, you've got to have some ability, uh, but you don't have to be the most talented kid. And I think passion and desire will get you a long way. And the only way you truly test passion and desire is adversity. Put them in an adverse situation. See how they react when things aren't going their way. See how they react when perhaps they're told off by the coach, or or maybe the performance of that hoped for didn't perhaps go the way. Um, that they thought they might on a particular given day or a particular competition. Maybe because you did too much training. Uh, maybe you just woke up in for flat or for whatever reason and see how the athlete bounces back. I'm not sure how we ended up going down that path, Ben. I think it was I was playing that probably more for me. Probably playing that more for me, Ben. I've got my kids are just starting to get to that age group and my daughter particularly very, very driven in her chosen sport. Um, my little guy's just getting there now. He's a couple of years younger, but... You know, you're there on the weekend, you're there without the whole lot of parents, and at times I think we can probably all get a little bit guilty of maybe living vicariously through our kids
2: well i'm not I don't know that personally with no was zero kids to my name, but I sound like a very passionate father,
1: yeah, but I think sometimes that can be a strength, and you've got to be careful it doesn't become a weakness too,
2: well as long as you're not abusing officials.
1: Oh, I don't do that, no. I mean, the nice thing about things like surf lifesaving, and most of the stuff at junior, most of the officials are actually volunteers. So, you know, they're doing their best, aren't they? And it's very easy to throw the cheap shots. They're there helping and you're not. Um, And you need to encourage officials. What what I do like about individual sports, though, is you don't tend to get the politics. You know, I was doing the baseball over the weekend. And one thing with baseball, we've got a young player, um, Wyatt uh, Wyatt Hoffman, whose father is in the Major League Hall of Fame for baseball. One of the great finishers, Trevor Hoffman, Uh, San Diego Padres, retired his number, he's in Cooperstown. But there's no nepotism. Your son is good, he's out here playing, he's playing in the minor leagues. And see, in a sport like baseball, everything is just measured in pure statistics, and that's what they use across the board. Okay, you might get some better coaching at a young age because your father's got some contacts or your name might get you into something. But at the end of the day, baseball, you can't bluff your way through it. The statistics are there which will tell you whether you're good or not, whether you deserve to get a, an elevation to the next stage in your career or not. And that's what I also like about individual sports. You, it's there for everybody to see. We're sometimes in team sports, and we've all seen it at a schoolboy level particularly, certain teams, cricket teams, rugby teams, soccer teams, how often have you heard it, the coach's son? or this person got in, they went to the maybe a school and there might be a little bit of a class structure in place. And so I do like those individual sports. You know, if you're good enough, nobody can deny you if you're going first, second and third, if you're consistently in that top five, top six. When it comes to picking teams and stuff, the results are there.
2: Well, I guess that's kind of what made that Moneyball movie with uh, Brad Pitt mm. uh, and Jonah Hill very interesting because you kind of saw that real side of it and how it... It equates to sports and because some of these guys might have not had, I know this was before then, but if we put it in today's context, oh, because this guy doesn't have the 10,000 Instagram followers, he's not perceived to be as good of a player, but his stats are equally as good as a guy who's making more money.
1: Mm. Oh, yeah, but if you want to get into the All Blacks these days, or the new All Black, is it the All Black A-team? How many All Black teams have we got these days? It's all about Instagram followers, isn't it, Ben? Yeah. Or are we just being a little bit facetious? Well, no, we've we we we've done some research. We've done some we have research, haven't we, on selections. We've got, we, we know some players have made new A-teams, and we go, why? This player's certainly a better player. We all agree this guy's a better player, and we've done our homework, haven't we? We haven't got a big enough Instagram following, though.
2: Yeah, but because I, I obviously don't have enough Instagram
1: followers to make that much of an impact. no. Anyway, it is 20 minutes after seven. Look, if you just want to comment on anything we've just discussed or something that's, you might have an example that you want to give. Um, you might have examples of yourself growing up or as a parent. Uh, some of the traps that you at times have felt you're falling into or examples. 0800 150 You can text us here on 8833. Uh, we will keep the lines open. Uh, please keep the text coming in. We will come back and bring you some FIFA Football World Cup highlights next year on SENZ. Chris Cornell, out the album Temple of the Dog One of the great albums Soundgarden Pearl Jam And the great Chris Cornell, terrible loss 25 minutes after 7, you're listening to SENZ Right, last night, 11 o'clock, it kicked off We had Japan, who had just had a victory over Germany One goal to nil, playing Costa Rica, who had been beaten badly by six goals against Spain. I think everybody expected Japan to win this, maybe not to the same degree as Spain did, but I found everybody thought, yep, Japan would win this game. Didn't end up going that way. It was Costa Rica winning by one goal to nil.
5: Duan gets it back from Yamane, crosses across the six-yard box, past the outstretched hands of Kaelon Navas, the goalkeeper, but there was no one on the other end of it for Japan. It's Torres on the right flank. Fuller gets back out wide for an option in support. Backwards, cross comes in from Costa Rica, headed away. Campbell floats it towards goal, outside of the boots, looking for the top right corner of the goal. And it was just a bit too adventurous. Japan pick up the pieces in midfield. Sat to the left now for Soma. Cutting inside on his right. Plays it inside the area and it goes through the legs of a couple of Japanese players and all the way past the Costa Rican goalkeeper Navas. Score's is yet to be broken but Japan on the attack first and Kayla Navas forced to make a save early on but the first thrust forward has been Japan forcing a save out of the goalkeeper Kayla Navas. The secondary ball comes in. Asano with the flick on header and two attempts on goal in quick succession. The first one blocked by a defender and the second one with not much power, just grazed off the head of Asano. Campbell again indecisive, bad ball to Haydar to Fuller with a shot towards goal. And Costa Rica against the run of play have caused the upsets. They've taken the leads. Keisha Fuller, that man who has been putting in kilometers for Costa Rica, curled it around Joichi Gonda, who got a fingertip to it but could not guide it away. And Fuller has put Costa Rica 1-0 up. Mitoma gets around Fuller, gets to the edge of the box Shot comes in, cleared by Navas Goal line scramble, Navas sticks up a right hand gym. dominating right hand from Taylor Navas To claw it back down into his chest and to safety That is as close as you can get without actually scoring
1: Yes, another stunning upset really Costa Rica beating Japan uh, Japan, uh, you know, quality side Football is really, really big over there With the J-League And so, boy Tell you what that did do, though, that just took a little bit of pressure off Germany. Japan had won that game, Germany having lost to Japan, knowing that they had to play Spain following that performance. There was a real chance that Germany could miss out on the qualifying stages or of the top 16 stage, the knockout stages, the next round. But anyway, it was Spain, it was Germany, two European powerhouses who met each other in Group E.
0: Spain now, yeah, nice ball in behind, it's Danny Almo, left-hand edge of the air, and Neuer's come out of his line, he's in terrible position, and Ferran Torres on the penalty spot with his left foot is skied high, as Neuer was getting back desperately, he still wasn't back, David, was he? That is a golden opportunity missed. Kimmick to take it. It's a beautiful ball. Antonio Rudiger knocks it down. Pass Simon for the opening goal. Set, piece, perfection from the Germans. Germany 1, Spain 0. 39 minutes played. Swung in just beyond the penalty spot, Daniel. Who
6: else but Antonio Rudiger meets it? Checking for the offside, though. But I've sensed. From first glance, that this will be tight. Offside given, I think, isn't it?
0: You might be right, David. Yes, indeed. Rudiger having strayed. Again, a shoulder, an arm in it. It was a free header
7: in the middle of the goal. Offside given. That goal will be
6: wiped
0: off. Here yes. they go again. Woody Albert's going to play a ball to the near post. Oh, what a finish! Morata! He has his critics, but they all should be bowing down to him now at the near post. He's lifted it with a dainty touch over the right shoulder of Manuel Neuer. Exquisite finish. Spain 1, Germany nil. 62 minutes gone. Here's Moussiala. Now popping up on the right-hand side. Lovely footwork. Darts field Beats Jordi Alba. Alba's getting some help from Danny omo Oh, both of them uh, see Musiala slipping behind. Lovely ball into the six-yard box. Oh, but Rodri just able to put on, put off the new man. Ball 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 and it's gone out for a goal kick, I think. Crew. Oh, he's a chance. Yeah, it's Suda Musiala. And on going. Unai Simon saves with his right shoulder from... Only 10 yards out. Ball still not away. Gnabry athletically. Chests it down and then smashes it on goal. But it's wide of goal. David Choate's got his hand up as if there should be an offside call there. There was not one. Klosterman. Klosterman wins possession. Ball played into Zane. Angling back in. He plays it into Fulkirk. It's going to find Fulkirk who shoots into the top corner. Just his third international. But he's got his fingerprints all over this World Cup. A blistering strike by Simon, who could hardly see it. Yeah, it's cool. 1-1 in the 83rd minutes. He leaves his ball short, though, to Slotterbeck, who's now out of position. Nico Williams off to the races, but boy, oh boy, Leon Goretzka. How good a work is that from the midfielder getting back, muscling him up, pushing him off, getting the ball, playing it down the line, playing Sane. he dribbles to the byline, chips it back towards Fulkrig on the six-yard box, and a desperate, desperate clearance. Hints of offside, perhaps. I'm not sure, David. I think Sane was onside. And with 60 seconds to go, Germany so close to stealing it at the very
8: death.
1: Yeah, very much a game of two halves. I was following uh, the first half, and Spain seemed to have the majority of the possession. Germany came back. Uh, That draw was huge for Germany. Really, the way this now plays out is that Spain play Japan, Germany play Costa Rica you'd expect the Germans in all seriousness to beat Costa Rica even though Costa Rica beat Japan and Japan beat Germany Um, and I would expect Spain to end up beating Japan which means that should Spain and Germany should still end up getting through to the next round getting out of group play however however There have been some pretty big upsets so far in this FIFA World Cup, just showing the depth of football worldwide, just showing that any team on their day is capable, any one player has the ability to write themselves into FIFA folklore and to create a real sense of nationalism. It's interesting, isn't it? We sort of love to talk up the Rugby World Cup and the Women's Rugby World Cup and the America's Cup, but... Really, you get on BBC World Service and you listen to a neutral view of the world and then you see the fans in the stands and you see these countries and it is just on another scale, isn't it? This World Cup, it is just at another level. Remarkable. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will bring you A mouthwatering game between Belgium and Morocco. Belgium, for a long time in recent years, have been the number one side in the world. European powerhouse. Morocco, North African. A lot of people really don't give them much of a chance, don't have a great history in the big events at World Cups and African Continental Championships. But again, Looked at what Costa Rica did to Japan. Looked at what Saudi Arabia had done to Argentina. What Japan did to Germany and thought, you know what? If we believe, we could possibly win this. We'll bring you the highlights of that game next year on SENZ. 23 minutes away from 8 o'clock. We will catch up with Andrew Ellis, former New Zealand cricketer, one-day international and T20 specialist the next ODI is to be held in Christchurch just keen to get a little bit of a, a sort of an update on Hagley Oval um, there was always a bit of discussion and controversy around ha- Hagley Oval when the idea was sort of first tabled in regards to turning it into an international cricket ground with lights because Hagley Park is very much a park for everybody and it's such a big part of Christchurch but I've got to say I, I think it's um, yeah I think it's 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 blended into nicely into um, into Hagley Park, and I think it has been um, yeah a real winner in terms of Test cricket and One Day cricket in Christchurch. Really, really cool venue. Uh, again, and then also just having a look at the Black Caps the makeup of this team and the performances so far against India. Clearly, the second one-day international being rained out yesterday in Hamilton. But this hour, we are continuing our theme of the FIFA Football World Cup. Uh, a game here that I think everybody thought Belgium was going to win and win comfortably was Belgium and Morocco.
9: In it comes. Hooked in. And it's a goal! Morocco are in front. Who would have thought an amazing transformation in the game? Courtois... I think was blindsided by the mass of players just in front of him. And zh oh, got it in. That's
5: going to be offside. You I think, think it's
9: going to be offside? I think they're going to call it offside. now the referee's coming back onto the pitch, signalling he's viewed it, no goal. And in the meantime it's going to be a a dead ball situation for Morocco on the left-hand side. Here it comes in, looking at it, beating quite oh. a the near post and he's done it. A brilliant goal by Sabiri. He's beaten Cotua on the near post and Morocco in some ways deserved the lead. And maybe this is a false dawn in some ways. Maybe the window has been shut on any World Cup aspirations for what has seemed to have been the golden generation of Belgium football. Because some of the stars have gone missing in this encounter. And here comes morocco for a chance to maybe even steal a second ziyat sends it back they've got the second what a goal they what have got goal. the second and abdul has put the nail in the belgium coffin and maybe in the coffin for their world cup and maybe belgium are heading back to brussels because on this form they are struggling and their third game there's no guarantee that they can get a result this has been an impressive performance by morocco and abdoukal puts away the second, and it's now Belgium nil,
1: Morocco two. Yeah, unbelievable result. They've said for a long time that the African nations have been the sleeping giant. We're yet to see them really wake at a World Cup. As I said earlier, we've had Senegal, we've had Cameroon, but no one really been consistent. Now we've had Saudi Arabia. Iran are playing quite well Morocco Ben I I know a few of those Moroccan players I used to have
2: an old flatmate who was from Morocco and we used to talk quite a bit of football so I feel a little somewhat, a little bit educated on Moroccan football, but the one thing which I found quite interesting post-game was Kevin De Bruyne's comments. I don't know if you heard them, but he pretty much said that, he pretty much conceded that the golden generation for Belgium is over. He said, we missed our window. He said, we're too old now. And it seems like that's almost caused a bit of friction in the camp because, of course, their uh, their manager, uh, Martinez, was asked about it after the game, and he, of course, is denying it. And I think a couple of the other players were asked about it as well, and they're saying, no, it's not the case, you know, was still yeah, capable.
1: I, I I think it was their manager saying, look, you know, we, we were just too defensive. We've got to play attacking. we were just in two minds and I think that sometimes happens when you play a country that perhaps doesn't come with the same reputation. How often do you see great tennis matches between the number one and two seeds, number one and ten seeds in tennis and yet often the number one or the top five, top ten seeds are actually knocked out by the hundredth seed players or those that have qualified and I think sometimes the psychology of it all but are really, really good for Morocco. Great nationalism. Um, right, let's go on to Croatia. Taking on Canada, this is a good. This is a very, very good Canadian team, um, but they're coming up against Croatia, who made the World Cup final. Uh, was it four years ago? I keep it was, it definitely, just with COVID, I forget now if it's four or five years because so many things have been, you know, skipped a year like the Tokyo Olympics. But it was only four years ago, wasn't it? France, the defending World Cup champions, of course. So the might of Croatia taking on Canada.
5: Finds Kyle Lahren in midfield. Tajon Buchanan on the right. Lahren continues his run forward. David in the middle. Buchanan crosses in. And Alfonso Davies, in the opening minutes, has written his name into footballing eternity. The young gun from Canada. It is history. And now Modric through the gap to Brozovic. And now to Lovaya on the front side over to Kramaric. It's a nice move. Kramaric apprehended by Larea. Kramaric pulls the trigger. Gets it across the face of the goalkeeper. But the flag has gone up. And now Brozovic to the left edge of the box, Croatia almost in behind, the ball is in the back of the net, will it be ruled off this time? No it won't, goal confirmed, Croatia, Andrej Kramaric this time, the goal will stand and Croatia do equalise. Juranovic sprinting forward. Levi to his inside. Good recovery tackle from Kamal Miller. Comes out to Levi. Bullet. An absolute bullet from Marco Levi. From the edge of the box. Rifled it into the bottom left corner. And from 1 0 down, Croatia take a 2 1 lead before half time. Picked up in midfield by Osorio. And it's wide. Whoa. Oh, my. A shot from range from Jonathan Osorio, who stepped up to the edge of the box, curled it over the head of Gladiol, and just inches oh my. wide of the bar infield to Brozovic, Juranovic again makes that run, it's a good move from Josip Juranovic, cuts it back inside, Kramaric and a good save from Milan Boyan, it was hit with venom from Andrei Kramaric looking for his second goal, he was all by himself inside the box, no one marking him Johnston, in between the gaps in defence, up on the edge of the final third Buchanan lays it off, gives it over shot comes in and it's just over the crossbar (laughs) now it's Canada's turn to fire one in from range Jonathan David not far off, cross at the back post. Kramaric thought about hitting it first time. Hits it second time instead. And Andre Kramaric gets his brace. Croatia, 3-1 up. The marksman in the 18-yard box. Found the bottom left corner. Ivan Perisic stepping over the ball. Inside the 18-yard box. Cleared away. Comes out to Kovacic. The save from Bojan From close range, Nikola Vlasic struck it straight at the goalkeeper. And Croatia, from that distance, really should have been 4-1 up. Wanting to build up as much of a goal difference as they can and an mistake from Kamal Miller two players goal side Orosic lays it off and the goal is in the back of the net through Lovro Maia four goals for Croatia asserting their dominance on this World Cup for the first time
1: yes indeed really good performance from Croatia another one of those dark horse teams there'll be a lot of media coverage clearly on Argentina always a lot of Engl- uh, coverage on England and they always tend to you know um However, you know, semi-finalists at the last FIFA Football World Cup and also finalists of the European Cup uh, under Gareth Southgate, they've got a big game coming up against Wales. They should beat Wales and they should beat Wales comfortably. Um, But if they play like they played against the United States and Wales get a sniff or England maybe play a little bit like Belgium did against Morocco, uh, it wouldn't surprise you if England somehow found a way to draw that game or found a way to lose that game. Uh, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll go inside that England camp, we'll go inside the Welsh camp. This is the one where I keep thinking it's Led Zeppelin, eh? But it's not. Oh, no, Okay, yep, I'm with you, I'm with you. Nine minutes, nine minutes, it's got a, boy, it's got a Led Zeppelin start to it, though. Nine minutes away from 8 o'clock. England, Wednesday morning, New Zealand time, 8 o'clock. So a good time for New Zealanders to watch. And I know a lot of New Zealanders do support the England football team. Not many support the English rugby team. They take on Wales. Um, This should be an absolute beauty. Wales, well, like the Irish, like the Scottish, they hate the English. um, And they'd love to beat them at, I guess, their game. Marcus Rashford out of the England squad, We've got some audio of him, I guess, reflecting on that performance against the United States and looking forward to this Welsh game.
8: As as players, we always want to play our best football, but it's it's not possible. <laughs> you can't always play play your best football, and, and you have to learn to win games when you're not playing well. Because, um, like I said, it's it's unrealistic to think that you you're going to play, you're going to be the best team or you're going to be the best individual on the pitch every single game. Um, so, you know, we we obviously, we're not happy with the way that we performed in the last game. Um, we know that we can do better, but at the same time, we're in a strong position in the group. Um, you know, it's not often that teams win all three games in, in group games. So, um, you know, if we manage to, to beat Wales, which we'll be looking to do, then it's it's a, it can be considered as a good start.
4: You went through all of that with your injuries, so just... A recap of the moment of coming on against Iran and scoring so quickly. Can you just talk it through us, through for us, and with all those injuries, what it meant to you?
8: Yeah, it's obviously an, um, a, a great feeling to just pull on the England shirt again. Um, it's something that I've obviously missed out on and, uh, since the, since the Orals. Um So it's the initial feeling of just meeting up with a large train and being around them at the hotel, um, getting back out on the pitch. They're, they're all great feelings. And then the goal just capped everything off, really. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm really happy that I'm, that I'm here
4: again. And to actually score, to come on, score your World Cup goal so quickly?
8: Yeah, great feeling. You know, when you're, when you're on the bench, you want to get involved in the game as quickly as possible. And, you know, probably for any player, but especially for a forward, the best way to do that is by scoring a goal. So the fact that the, the opportunity came so, so quickly, it's, it's beautiful.
4: And I want to look to Harry Maguire as well, who had another outstanding game, kept a clean sheet against a really strong attack from the USA. Like you, performing so well under Gareth Southgate, he's getting a lot of criticism, saying he's too pragmatic, but he's getting performances out of players that not are getting maybe the strongest performances at club level. How does he do it?
8: Um, I think a lot of it is the atmosphere. Um, I feel like he's got a good balance between... You know working hard and and having downtime and opportunity to just relax and, and put your feet up um I think he's always been good at that to be honest uh, since I've worked with him um even when I went with him in the under twenty ones it was it was the same you know so he's stuck to what he thinks works and what you know he speaks to the players a lot and he tries to get a balance between you know what he thinks will work well and what the players want and and what they think will work well and um yeah, on that side of things, is is very good.
4: What was the discussion? You all said you said that you were disappointed with the result, the the performance against the US. What was the discussion had?
8: Um, listen, we were obviously not happy with the result. Um, I think at, at times in the game we, we played well. Um, we was probably just missing the the final bit to get the goal. Um, but you know, like I said before, USA defended uh, really well. Yeah, not sure um, but yeah, people give the
1: United States perhaps as much credit as they deserve. I mean, they're well and truly established now as a footballing nation, aren't they? More and more players playing overseas, plus they've obviously got their major league soccer. Uh, you just can't afford to take any team lightly. They'll always be, I mean, I'm absolutely blown away that Costa Rica beat Japan today. But I mean, the host nation, Qatar, um, people enjoying going after them because of the human rights issue. Uh, you know, first, first country to host a World Cup who hasn't advanced out of pool play but I don't think anybody picked Qatar to ever get out of pool play um, I mean will the New Zealand women's team get out of pool play next year at the Women's World Cup no guarantee here in New Zealand we're okay but we're not a powerhouse in the women's game are we um, but that's what happens when you start sharing the World Cup around and going outside of some of the more traditional continents or some of the more traditional countries Right, coming up after 8 o'clock, we will have Andrew Ellis on the programme, former one-day international cricketer, T20 international cricketer. We've got the third ODI between New Zealand and India. It's going to be played in Canterbury on Wednesday afternoon. If you've got any thoughts, feel free to phone us on 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833. Eight o'clock, you're listening to SENZ, Mark Watson with you. Peter Mears out of Australia will join us on the programme after nine o'clock to provide and review the Wallabies' rugby season. Somehow managed to get themselves out of jail against the Welsh on the weekend. A great drama, great theatre. How are they tracking heading to next year's Rugby World Cup? Dale Budge around about 9.30 to look back on the Auckland Tuatara, the baseball franchise that plays in the Australian um, Baseball League, they took on the Sydney Blue Sox. They ended up winning that series two games to one. The fourth game, there were three runs to nothing ahead at the bottom of the fourth. The rain came and it was washed out. They will resume that game in Sydney in a couple of weeks when the Tuatara travel to Sydney. And they will pick the game up from where it finished. So hopefully the Tuatara can pick up that extra win. Weather causing havoc right around the country. Really disappointing for those fans. Yesterday in Hamilton, wanting to see the Black Caps take on India. India, when the covers were brought on, the game was called off, were 89 for one after 12.5 overs. The third ADI is to be played Wednesday. It's to be played in Christchurch in Canterbury. Hagley Oval. Joining us on the program to discuss that, to reflect on that wonderful 100 from Tom Latham on Friday night is former New Zealand international one day and T20 specialist Andrew Ellis. Andrew, good evening, welcome.
6: Good evening, Mark.
1: What do you do with yourself these days? Are you still involved with High Performance Sport New Zealand?
6: Uh, yes, I am indeed. I'm the, uh, yeah, the South Island manager down uh, looking after things down in the in the South. So, yeah, it's keeping me... Busy post, uh, post cricket.
1: So, how many sports do you sort of got your eye across in that role? I'd imagine a fair few. Yes,
6: yeah, no, the, the HPS and world is, is stretching a lot further now than what it used to. And I think there's, I think we're in about the mid 30s now, the number of sports that receive some sort of investment. So, it's uh, it's it's awesome to see, you know, some of the these minor, smaller sports and you know, wide ranging communities getting some sort of funding and working out what you know what the performance element looks for them because uh, what inspires New zealand is uh is ever changing so it's, it's uh, yeah it's, and it, but it's a different world to cricket that's for sure so I'm, I'm learning a lot
1: yeah look I imagine you are it, it is interesting isn't it that you know we've only got a small population and therefore we just don't have size and that's always going to make it difficult from a financial point of view but I think with the advent of Sky Television and so many sports now being beamed into our living room, kids now get the opportunity to watch a lot more different sports and they get to see the pathways, they get to see what the pinnacle events are and it does put a lot of pressure on those more traditional sports like cricket, rugby, netball, rugby league who have probably had it their own way for a long time.
6: Yeah, no, that's right and and that's just the way of the world and um, you know the challenge is on for these sports to you know, to produce, you know, great environments for these for these young people to want, to want to be part of. And I think probably more than ever, um, you know, the athletes are quite discerning of, you know, what a good environment is, and, and rightly so. So, I mean, it's, it's a good challenge to have, in, in my opinion. And, and, you know, these are sports and, and you know, areas that, that go into different realms of our communities, you know, different cultures, and, you know, that reflect New Zealand probably in a good way. So, But we also... Um, you know, the ones that do really well on the world stage too so ensuring that we do have that aspirational element to it as Kiwis which, you know, is is part of our fabric, Mark, as you know
1: Yeah, no, absolutely Um, and what about yourself, transitioning from being basically a full-time athlete or a semi-professional athlete, um, however you want to describe it then sort of having to get out of that and I guess getting into the real world was it an easy transition for you or did it take a little bit of time?
6: Uh, you know, it definitely took time. I, I was very fortunate to, um, to have a, a few roles as I, as I sort of got to the back end of my career um, around sport, um, and that paved the way for sort of post-cricketing um, employment. But, it, yeah, it was a challenge. I mean, you're getting out of somewhere which was your identity for, for many, many years, and, and that's probably that, that big word, isn't it? Identity these days, mm. and how do you, you know, not tie your identity to your results on the field, because that's inherently an up and down journey. So, so just building those, you know, family and all that type of stuff, and um, yeah, it, it was always going to be a challenge. And I think probably, probably what I didn't realise was how much that that fulfilment part of it was probably always about, you know, how do you how do you keep the old wage level up and put food on the table for the family. But I think finding something that you know spun your wheels as much as what being a professional sports mm. person did that was probably the biggest challenge and how do you fill that gap that provided so much you know so unique for so many years
1: Yeah I think cyclist Rushley Buchanan summed it up best in a news article because I was sort of trying to put my finger on it and what is it, what makes it tough Um, and she said is my life ever going to be as exciting as it has been and I thought that was a really nice way of putting it because as an athlete as a young person travelling the world you don't have a lot of responsibilities at the point in your life where you're happy about that and life is exciting isn't it Oh,
6: definitely, definitely. And, and I think the job, you know, the leaders, you know, the coaches and the you know, high-performance directors is, is to to ensure that balance stays with the athletes throughout. And I think, you know, as I got to that back part of the career, you, you realise what actually was important. You know, when you went home after the game and you've you know, been smoked for six of that last ball and lost the game, you no-one know, no actually, you know, really cares. Everyone goes about their work and, you know, although you're gutted and... And everything like that, which is natural. But you go home, your family's there, and you know the kids don't care. Mm. And you know that perspective, uh, you know, and you start to sort of reframe what's really important. And but you don't want to take. You know, when you're having a, uh, when you're young and you're trying to make the best of yourself, you want to give everything you can. But mm. just ensure that you've got a, half an eye on what's coming up and and what is really important in life. That the world keeps turning, the sun comes up the next day, and you know despite how you do on the mm. on the field.
1: Yeah, I mean, your career—you were plagued by injury at times, and um, you know—but you ended up playing for your country and reaching the highest level in the sport. What experiences can you draw? Can you draw from that you can pass on to some of these athletes that you deal with or coaches?
6: Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's definitely. I mean, you've got to have obviously the physiological tools, and, and you know, the skill level, the talent is essential, but. So those soft skills—that's they, 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 that, what separates the, you know, the average from the from the best. If I had a dollar for every supremely talented athlete that I played with, that you know, was it was it out out of the game in their mid twenties? I probably wouldn't be working now, Mark, to be honest. Mm. So you know, those soft skills—that you know, the the work ethic, uh, the commitment, the planning—I think that's really important. You know, learning and those that the ones who are able to reflect on their performances um really analyze and then get better and you know get that learning loop going I think those are the ones that that really kick on as opposed to the ones you just sort of float through and don't really
4: mm. you
6: know have any any planning any structure to where they mm. go in any development mm. they're sort of really in the here and now so mm. that's that's probably the biggest takeaway I think that planning mm. um, as a as a bedrock to to wherever you want to get to.
1: I always say adversity is a good thing because it you often find out who mm. is truly Passionate who yep. is who who truly does have that desire um when yep. athletes face adversity because you've got two choices: yeah. you can give up, you can quit or you can keep going,
6: yep yeah, that's right and and I think New Zealand cricket have got a lot better probably over the last ten years in valuing that apprenticeship that that athletes go through the domestic game. We've probably seen the maturation age of a cricketer being selected gone slightly older, and that's happened in other sports too. Netball have had success with that, and that lines up with what you've just said, Mark, about those athletes who have been through a journey, face some hard times, and then they get to that age where they marry up the mental and the physical, mm. and that's when the, the you know things really start to shine. And that's not rocket science, you know. We all know it, but sometimes you know selection policies and that get a little bit aligned and. And, but, yeah, that, that's the, the key, isn't it? You've got to go through a, a, bit, a bit of life before you can really um, you know, make hay when you get into that international arena. There's
1: been a bit of um, comment and maybe a little bit of criticism of New Zealand cricket on the way they've dealt with the Martin Guptill situation. I mean, a lot of organisations in terms of the way they deal with athletes being dropped or not making particular teams, is, is there a right or wrong way in how you deal with those situations? I mean, or is that just the hardness of professional sport?
6: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't envy the situation. I've, you know, they are New Zealand cricket navigating a, a ever-changing world at the moment. A, it is an environment that, unlike it's ever been. I mean, I don't think we're going to see athletes that are going to have the length of a career that that they used to, um, just because of you know, like a Trent Bolt. You know, he's given his heart and soul for. You know, ten or twelve years, and all three formats, and and now he's, he's prioritising family, you know, and and those types of things, and and you, you can't blame them. So it's a New Zealand and New Zealand cricket have done it very well over the years, trying to tread that you know the line between giving the athletes the autonomy to, to choose their where they go, but also um, rewarding the ones that have shown commitment to New Zealand cricket and the national team. Um, but we're not a big player in the world, you know, we can't just dictate. To, to athletes, you know, we don't pay them as big as the Indians or the Australians or the English, so we have to be really cognizant and have a good relationship with the, with the players as a as a yeah. base. So, so I mean, i have done it really well, but I mean, I don't know the specifics of the situations with, with Guppy, but um, but yeah, it's definitely a, a different world to what it was 10 years ago.
1: Where does he rank amongst the all-time greats of one-day cricket? Does he deserve to be in the discussion? If we were named the greatest one-day side, you, you know, you look at the likes of the Astles, um, clearly the Ross yep. Taylors, the Brendan McCullums from a batting point of view. Does guptal part of the yeah. discussion in terms of who opens at the top of the order?
6: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean very much out of the out of Nathan Astle ilk. Um, I'd have to go back and look at the stats to look at a, a pure stats based decision, but I mean, when we think of those great innings, you know, and he's called big hundreds as well, um, anchored innings and I'd love to see how many games we won when he got runs. I think there would be a high correlation Um, So and fielding, you know, not to mention that fielding, he really owned that backward point area you know. so probably in terms of net um, results out of a game, he would probably be in the positives more often than not, I would have thought over the years but yeah, I mean, the talent was immense and, and you know, it was not nice bowling to him on tiny New Zealand grounds, that's for sure.
1: No, and I, I think that probably the standout performance we go on about the semi-final victory over South Africa in that World Cup that we shared with Australia here, but it was that yeah. quarter final I think against the West Indies. He faced the first ball and he faced the last ball of the inning. He basically batted the entire yeah. way through, which is not an easy thing to do in one day cricket.
6: No. No, that's right. You know, that that's a that's a fitness element, you know, it's a skill element. Um, the tempo of the innings, you know, we're seeing someone like Conway start to show some of those um, skills now around someone who can pace the innings just magically, know when to, when to put the foot down and then just pull it back and then push again. It's it's a hell of a skill and one that teams can build themselves, themselves around, particularly with some of the hitting talent that we've got in the middle order.
1: Mm-hmm. Andrew Ellis is my guest on the program, talking cricket. Uh, so we've just talked about one of the great hundreds there from Martin Guptill in that World Cup against the West Indies, and we've seen some wonderful innings over the years. The performance from Tom Latham on Friday night, one hundred and forty-five of one hundred and four balls. Where does that one rank?
6: Yeah, well, I mean it was one of those ones that just really crept up on you, and, and when you, you got to the end of it and looked back and thought that is that's one of the you know one of the best knocks I've ever seen. It was. And he, Tommy summed it up beautifully at the end, and probably Tommy to a T. He just he focused on getting himself into good positions and then just reacted. And if ever there was a, a lesson for a young cricketer coming through, then that's it. Just literally reacting, getting yourself, the feet in the right place, the body in the right place, the hands up, and then just reacting. And that's when the, that's when the natural talent starts to emerge, and Tommy showed that the other night. It literally was just, pure natural talent flowing out of out of each. Oh, I'm not sure. He was an autopilot. I'm not mm. sure he was even thinking.
1: Well, why is he um, not considered for the New Zealand T20 team?
6: Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, I think people like Tom and Henry Nichols, I think, particularly on big grounds, I think, personally, I, they should be in the mix. The guys who can manipulate the field um, and build those innings. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've got Kane, we've got Devin, um, in there, uh, as soon as you, I mean, there's a lot of stats around how many balls a batter actually faces the further you go down from number five onwards. So it really is about, if you're facing less than 15 balls on average, how productive are you in those first 15 balls? Um, and, you know, Tommy probably, again, is probably a runnable man up to the 50 and then, then looks to, to accelerate, um, not to say he can't he can't also hit. But um there's some of those guys who, who just come from ball one and and can clear the rope is probably that preference, but yeah, it's a it's a good 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 problem to have Mark, I right? think.
1: Let's run through this New Zealand team uh, there or thereabouts. So Finn Allen, Conway at the top, Kane Williamson coming in at first drop, coming in at three, Daryl Mitchell, Tom Latham, uh, Glenn Phillips, Mitchell Santner seems to be uh, rock solid there as that sort of spin all-rounder. Then we've got Adam Milne, Matt Henry, Tim Southey, Lockie Ferguson, uh, players clearly on the periphery that can change just a little bit. Have we got a nice balance? Is this a good New Zealand one-day team?
6: Yeah, I think so. I mean, how long has it been since we've had two genuine pace options? And and, and Adam Milne and Lockie Ferguson, um, you know, that, that's a great thing to have, a great asset to have. Uh, the experience of Tim in there to balance that out, and then the you know the quality of Matt Henry. He has you know, played with Henners for years, and he's he's just he's an X factor bowler. Um, it is a good balance. Maybe the question marks on on an attacking spinner there at times, and and if we need that, but that's generally been New Zealand's method over the years, hasn't it? To attack with the seamers and and mm-hmm. hold an end with the, with the mm-hmm. spinners, and and Santa does does a really good job in terms of that economy rate. So, so yeah, it is, it's generally what what area, what um, you know, method they want to go with. So it's it's a pretty good balance, but that pace attack, I think, is. You know, with a bit more experience, and I think Adam Milne's still a young man in terms of experience. So hopefully, if he can keep the injuries at bay, he's got a lot of growth to come as well.
1: I just want to get your thoughts too on Hagley Oval. I know when it was um, first tabled about turning it into an international cricket ground, Hagley Park, there was um, a lot of discussion around. A lot of people weren't in favour of it, but I think personally, I think it's been a great asset for the city of Christchurch. I think it's sort of hidden away nicely. It doesn't intrude on. Hagley Park to any real degree um, what's the general sort of consensus in Christchurch? Are people proud of that ground now?
6: Yes uh, I think that's that's a pretty good summation of it Mark um, all those there's the hypotheticals and um, the stuff that was trotted out during that time and unfortunately it costs the game of cricket a lot of money going through that environment court process um, and most people of reasonable rational nature could see what the outcome was going to be, and that's been realised. A gem for the city perfectly set in the context of Hackley Park. The lights have added another dimension. Again, all the the naysayers, you know, they're gone now. Um, People are seeing it's activated that area of the park, what was basically a pretty... You know, I wouldn't say a miserable part of the park, because I played a lot of cricket out there. But it was this has turned it into a a, a gem now. Now that we have the Sir Richard Hadley Sports Centre attached to it in the same venue, Canterbury has a real offering and a chance to to make that that cricket precinct, that Hadley Hadley Park, you know, one of the leading um, venues for cricket in in New Zealand. So the things are really coming together. It's uh, it's fantastic to be a part of, and, and hopefully we can keep, you know, keep, I mean there is a few around the country now in Tauranga but it's it's great to have these grounds that befit the way New Zealanders want to watch the game.
1: Yeah, look great at the uh, Women's World Cup earlier in the year as well. It was a yeah, lovely, lovely um, backdrop yeah. for that World Cup. Uh, is it a wicket that traditionally um, is the same year in, year out? I mean, describe the sort of the playing conditions, the batting conditions that you historically get at Hagley Oval, maybe uh, firstly from a one-day point of view and then maybe at a test match level.
6: Yeah, there's definitely that, that, that little bit more bounce that um, has characterised Hagley Oval. It's probably has slowed up a little bit of late, um, but you generally still get the ability to knock people off on a regular basis. Good bowlers will hit the splice, um, and good spinners will bounce the ball as well. Um, we haven't seen too many spin options employed at Hagley Oval, but that may come into the future. Uh, but, yeah, just a little bit more bounce is great. If you can get in on that, on that wicket, you can score 360 as well. So if, if it is a good wicket... Um, it can be really nice to bat on. But as a bowler, if you've got that quality, that bounce and that pace, then, you know, you've got those opportunities as well to nick people off, which, you know, how many times over the years have we gone into that full and straight mode in longer form cricket? Um, but Hagley doesn't really get to that. You're always always in with a chance. But, yeah, there's a, it's a fantastic wicket when it when it keeps that bounce and the big boundaries, of course.
1: Do you historically, if you win the toss, do you bat first or do you bat second?
6: Um, I think in longer form cricket they've definitely tended to leave a lot of grass on it, um knowing that at the the middle couple of days will really um, flatten out into a nice wicket. Um, if you didn't have that that first day as a challenging day, then you might end up with some docile mm. results. so you' almost i mean we used to talk about it hagley just getting to that two fifty two sixty um just advancing the game. Knowing that that we could either you know bowl teams out on the last day with spin through Todd Est or, or pace through you know if we had Matt Henry playing, so but but advancing the game in the first innings was always the key. So if you could get two fifty, two sixty, um, you know things were thing you were in the game to start with.
1: Mm. Right, look, just finally, um, Andrew, and I do appreciate your time tonight. It's been a uh, wonderful insight. I, I was talking to um, uh, Garth Galloway and a number of other cricket commentators. And I just sort of look at the state of cricket at the moment, and Brendan McCullum coming out in an interview in the last 24 hours saying, look, we've got to do everything to protect Test cricket. It's still a pinnacle, and I completely agree with him. It's still what I love to watch. How do we get the magic back, though, of the 1980s and the 1990s with the one-day game? Because T20 mm. cricket came along. It came along with a bit of a hiss and a roar, but there seems so much of it now that's almost become we've almost mm. become a little bit complacent yeah. around that. So where does cr- cricket currently sit, and how does it, I, I don't know, how does it maximise itself commercially and from an interest point of view? Where does that sit? How does it look?
6: Yeah, no. I think it's going to take some real visionaries at the top of the game to to, to get through this challenge. I think there's no doubt when you've got um, series happening, you know, less than a week after a World Cup, um, you're going to get players, you know, not at the top of their game. Um, how can you have, you know, the context and that that real competitive, that fierce nature? I mean, why you know why did we love the black ferns in the in the um, world cup every game was a contest mm. you know it was it was entertainment you were on the edge of your seat and that's what sport needs to be about and that's why people love test cricket because test cricket maintains that and i just how can we knowing that t20 is a big money spinner but the longevity of a t20 game and and in the public's mind is not there but the great test matches are so how do we set ourselves up in a calendar and a context that can allow the pinnacle of the game to be... I mean, look at the, the World Cup, the Football World Cup at the moment. Mm. It is it is protected. It's four years. Uh, everyone knows it's got heritage. It's got history. It doesn't get tinkered with too much yet. But it is, you know, and the seasons. Each each country's got their season. that they, they, they play and it's, it's the window. That, and they know what they're going for. There's competition and there's a real purpose to the athlete's playing the sport, so Jeepers, yeah, how do you you navigate that with bilateral series and
1: everything Well, T20 cricket for me, it's great entertainment we beat Australia, hey, I'm happy for an hour but I don't wake up the next Saturday, I don't feel like there's any real sort of legacy attached to it and I guess, you know, where test cricket clearly does you go back to Tasmania 2011 when we beat Australia over there I'll still say our greatest achievement was the series win in 1985 Um, you know, two tests or one, always remember that And it's like, how does the if you're going to have T20 cricket, how do you place greater importance on it? And if you can have one day cricket, how do you manufacture these series to have greater importance rather than just this? Yeah. it almost feels like a little bit like exhibition at the moment.
6: That's right. Yeah, and you know, is it too outlandish to to think that T20 cricket might just be played in franchises and have a World Cup every four years? Um, and there's no international t20 cricket played in between is that too much of an outlandish thought the money men would probably say yes um, but in terms of maintaining that integrity you know going to a probably more of a football model in that regard people play for their clubs and then come together you know once every four years in the t20 context to play for a world Cup maybe that might segregate things. And then, you know, when you play for your country, you're playing test cricket and, you know, perhaps ODIs. Mm. So I don't know. There's a lot. There's a well, lot I mean,
1: I there. watched that one day the other day at the Melbourne Cricket Round. 10,000 people looked empty. And here you've got yeah. Stephen Smith. You've got um, David Warner. You've got some of the best cricketers that have ever played for Australia. Then mm-hmm. you've got England who've mm-hmm. just won the T20 Cricket World Cup and yeah. no one's there watching it. And you think, man, if those two can't grab a crowd, oof, cricket's got to be worried.
6: Oh, that's right, that's right. And, you know, to see a headband Stokes coming out and saying that, you know, we're not we're not cars, you can't just fuel them up and expect them to, you know, get out there and run as good as, as always. Things will uh, players will, will start to break down and and we'll get a, a lesser product if we don't don't look after them and get the balance right. Uh definitely one of the challenges um for administrators coming up, I think.
1: Andrew Ellis, been an absolute privilege and a pleasure. Really enjoyed chatting with you, mate. And um, look, all the very best um, in your current role with High Performance NZ.
6: Thank you very much, Mark. Good to chat, mate.
1: 25 minutes after 8, you're listening to SENZ, former one-day international cricketer Andrew Ellis on the programme. You might want to comment on that. 0800 What is the solution? How do we bring greater importance to T20 and one-day cricket? because it just feels like exhibition stuff at the moment. I mean, if we lose the series on Wednesday to India, do we care? Do we mourn? Are we still thinking about it at Christmas? We're not, are we? Crowds seem to be down. I don't think cricket did themselves any favours in terms of taking it off the Sky platform. I understand why they did do it, and that's nothing against Spark whatsoever. People just are creatures of habit. People are just not going to spend money on two separate platforms to watch their sport, almost out of a moral argument. 0800 is the number. We'll just get Graham to hold. If you want to phone the program, love to hear from you. 8.30, 8.30, you're listening to SENZ, telephone number's 800 one five o eight double one Just interesting talking to Andrew Ellis there. I've got to say, thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. Um, a guy clearly very, very intelligent. Just listening to him, you can understand why he's done well in sport and now why he's gone on to do well um, post his cricketing career these days with um, high-performance Sport Z. But one-day T20 game, what do we do to bring some credibility to it, to put – what's the word – Jeopardy, uh, to have some meaning, to make some of this stuff have a little bit more value. It just feels like a lot of it's now just the exhibition cricket. Um, test cricket's ultimately where it's at. Really disappointing, though, that we're not going to have a lot of it over the New Zealand summer being played here. Uh, but you just might have some thoughts on it. Graham. good evening.
10: Good G'day, Mark. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, great interview with Andrew Ellis. Excellent. Yeah, great to listen to. His Dad Malcolm was a good great uh, broadcaster here in Christchurch for a long time. He was a good man. Yeah, and yeah, no, I didn't know um, that. Yeah, yeah, he used to have the afternoon when they used to have the Murray Deeker on the f- hour and then they go to the local show in the afternoon right. on Wellington. Sure. Did the same. But yeah, no, um yeah, but on the cricket um yeah, it's the same thing, you know, without hammering it's a bit like you know, we talk about for the shield, M P C super rugby, cricket. Has a separate issues, but it has some of the same things. That you know, it's different, but but they're the same overlapping issues. You know, I think with T20, I mean what Andrew said is right. You know, did, I think I've got what he said right. That you know, maybe it's time just to to say less of it. You know, and um that, and have this have the IPL and these Australian competitions like Trent Bolt and um, hmm. Martin Guptill are going to and. Um, the, the thing is,
1: know. just on that, Graham, no one here is really interested in those competitions. It's great for the players. Let them get out of the way. Let yep. them take their little cash grab or whatever they want or set themselves up yeah, for life. Yeah. They're very lucky. They're very privileged. They've got India. Uh, India, oh, I think, to be honest, I think that whole IPL is just basically money laundering and the players are just. Pawns and uh, yeah, we'll never really know, will we? But if you've been yeah. to India and you understand how things work over there, um, I'm probably not too far off the mark. But look, I think it's just the landscape's changed so much here now, and that the likes of cricket and rugby and stuff just haven't evolved. They just haven't gone with the changes. I think they've just been too arrogant, and too much of a good thing's no longer a good thing, is it, Graham? I mean, you look forward to your roast dinner maybe on a Sunday night once a week, or maybe once every two weeks. Start having it every night, starts to lose its appeal, doesn't it?
10: It does, and 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 food to use that a food analogy, um, you know, you know T twenty is probably more like you know Domino's pizza or something, you know. Um, with you know Test crickets is the roast dinner, but you know, but um, you know, like I, you know, often you talk about the You know, last week you were saying about the one day game, which has also suffered now terribly. You know, I mean, I I do remember those those games against the Team New Zealand and Australia when they would come out here and, you know, we'd go over there. They were like the super, like Canterbury-Auckland rugby games. They were like the international version of that. And there was a real edge to them. And people, that you, know, you know, Lance Cairns hitting the ball out of the ground, Hadley running up, you know, off his run, you know. And you felt this intense, you know, feeling. But you don't, that that has really gone. That, no, that but you go
1: back to you go back to that one day stuff. So we had the Underarm incident clearly, but we also had that yeah. Martin Stead catch that was never given as a catch. We had the Lance Ken's game where he came out and hit six yeah. sixes, which at the time was a big deal in one day cricket. You know, hey, players are doing that consistently and regularly now in T Twenty, but at the time, six sixes with the Excalibur bat. Um, I rem- yeah. I remember listening at home the Great West Indian team. You know, we'd play in that we'd play in that Tri Series, wouldn't we? What do they call it? The World Series over there, where they always Australia and two other countries, and That's right. we'd, be the, we'd be in the we'd be in the beige and you'd be playing England and then next week we'd be playing Australia and I remember the West Indies over there with, um, with Viv Richards and the likes of oh, yeah. you know, Jeffrey Dujon and all Garner. Those, Yeah, Garner, Dujon Gordon Greenwich, all <laughs> of those guys playing and I remember listening with my dad on the radio at home, the West yeah. Indies playing Australia in the final of that and the West Indies winning and everybody was still gripped, everybody was still highly engaged um, the fact that the West Indies were going to beat Australia at home
10: yeah, I think I think I might be corrected. I think that's when Kim Hughes, around the time he got the chop from the captain there. And I think Border took over. Mm. I remember. I think the West Indies were over there at that time. Yeah, and of course Border sort of helped resurrect cricket over there. Terry, but, Terry um, the
1: great Terry Alderman. I always remember Terry Alderman. I remember him getting. Oh, I, remember him get, I, no, me- I remember it. getting. Him, <laughs> I remember him getting John Wright first ball to test at Eden Park and the piece of commentary because I always love my commentary. And John Wright, he doesn't wait for the decision. John Wright, he's walking. Yeah,
10: yeah, Righty. Yeah, no, I, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, he didn't get many. Yeah, the old golden duck. Yeah, mate, they'd, they'd have the the duck walking beside the batsman going out. Oh, they, they, also had, they also
1: they also had an iconic commentary team. Uh, where well, I think these days our commentators, uh, we've got too many of the same. Um, oh, yeah. That's yeah. not to say they're not good commentators, but oh, I, just think good. You, I just think you need variety in your commentary. And, you know, I'd like to see a guy like a Garth Galloway injected into our commentary or the Jeremy Coney types. I think you need that. You need that storyteller. You need that historian. Um, one thing I will say is I find our commentators, both here in Australia at times, talk a little bit too much about themselves.
10: Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, um, you know, I think cricket seems because of the time and, you yeah. <laughs> They 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 have to do a lot of talking more so than rugby or football league mm. you know shorter form games but yeah yeah no, I mean Henry Blowfield you can go on forever he's come out here or mm. lived out here for summer times but you know but yeah they, they've really got to like, I'd like to see them go back to the drawing board but you know once again you know you, you think well will they ever do that and you know and what Andrew Ellis said is right you know. We need, you know, Test cricket is the pinnacle. We, I think, everybody knows that. But, and you know, the crowds there, you know, hopefully they get good crowds next, or the, you know, next summer when we we start again, or this summer coming. Yeah. I mean, we've just um, got but, a, we,
1: with, we've just had for too many years here the likes of the Sri Lankas and the Pakistan's, oh yes, and, Bangladesh, and the Bangladeshes, and we need to have England in three. We need to have Australia in three. We need to have India in three. Uh, we need to have these sides, and I think one thing that's also hurt cricket is the fact that the West Indies are not the Test side that they once were.
10: Oh, no doubt about it. They were, you know, they, they went, you know, they were the Calypso Kings, and then they went to, you know, they were destroyers. You know, they were the meanest dudes on earth to play against. <laughs> you know, they were, you know, I remember seeing them here at Lancaster Park. You know, Malcolm Marshall and those guys and mm. the richest to smack the best bowlers. at... Just mm-hmm. take them apart, you know, and um, yeah, they, yeah, cricket really lost something with the demo- I think basketball took off over there, or I think you're. No, basketball's
1: taken, yeah, basketball's uh, had a big impact. But basketball's it's had a huge really impact. Bas- but basketball's taken kids away. Look, it's happening here, seriously. We haven't maybe seen the full effects of it yet, but in 10 oh, years' time, you, you know, you wonder where all the depth is or where the player numbers are, and you'll find they all went across to basketball, whether they continued later on. But basketball is huge. My son plays it, he comes home, he talks about LeBron James I came home yep. when I was growing up I was talking about Richard Hadley John Wright Bruce Edgar
10: I know yeah no you're right I you know I work in a couple of schools and uh yeah basketball kids that play soccer rugby league mm. or whatever netball whatever you know uh, hockey they often played up you know basketball as well and mm. ba- basketball it's popular um mm. you know with with you know with, with lots of kids and it all and it all um crosses across the diverse you know the the yeah. ethnic and um economic you know diversity you know it's not just the have them, it's have nots you know every yeah. they all they all play um basketball it's just very popular yeah. uh, you know those those kids you and, and they play it on a friday night too, and play it, get it over with and uh home again you know yeah. so,
1: yeah, hey, look, Graham, um, I really appreciate your call. I've, I've just have to move on because I've got some um, bills to pay. I've got some commercial requirements I need, but always lovely to have you on the program, Graham, and do appreciate your insight and you phoning the program. I encourage other people to get on. I think TalkBack is a better experience when you do phone the program. But yes, basketball is coming in and basketball is owning, owning the sporting real estate amongst young kids, man. Real low cost of entry. Everybody gets their hand on the ball. Pretty simple to follow. And I'm not saying you can't, but certainly doesn't have the perception of concussion that goes with some of those other gladiatorial sports like league and rugby. Now it's now up to those traditional sports to somehow find a way to get those kids back. You've got to be in the limelight. And I'll say this with New Zealand cricket. They made the mistake, I think, of taking the money and not realising the intangible damage they did by also losing a large part of their audience. It is 16 minutes away from nine. We'll keep you updated too on the World Softball Championships. Uh, New Zealand beaten badly yesterday, 7-0 by the United States. Ouch, that hurts at home too. They take on the defending world champions Argentina on Māori TV. Fakata Māori, I think it is officially called these days. Just want to acknowledge Fakata Maldi too. They've picked up that secondary school space in terms of paying for the live streaming of major secondary school events. Um, and do it in a very different way to say what schoolboy rugby um, has been criticised for and so yeah now well done to in terms of encouraging secondary school kids and trying to get people off the couch so well done that they've picked up the softball world championships as well I can tell you at the bottom of the fifth New Zealand lead by three runs to one three runs to one, New Zealand leading, the current world champions, Argentina. So a really good performance, nice way to bounce back if they can get the job done here off the back of that poor performance against the United States yesterday. Uh, Look, coming up after nine o'clock, Peter Mears out of Australia. He will give us his thoughts on the Wallaby season. How good was Dave Rennie? Where are the Wallabies in regards to them tracking for next year's Rugby World Cup? And of course, they pulled out a bit of a miracle to beat Wales, or Wales snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Now, look, um, I've just picked up this list of nominations for the New Zealand Rugby Awards. And they are going to be announced on Sky Sport 1 and Prime on Thursday the 8th of November. That's the night I'm in Wellington for the Guns N' Roses concert. December. Sorry, December. Did I say November, Ben? Sorry, December. So in a couple of weeks. Oh, next week. So I'm in... I'm in uh, Wellington to watch Guns N' Roses. Looking forward to that. Uh, So they've got the New Zealand Rugby Referee of the Year. The nominees are Maggie Cogger-Or for Auckland, Brendan Pickerel and Ben O'Keefe. Charles Munro Rugby Volunteer of the Year are Cathy Charles from Otago, Andrew Gemmell for Thames Valley and Alan Granger from Waikato. New Zealand Rugby Age Grade Player of the Year, George Bell for Canterbury. Peter Lucki from Wellington had a good season, didn't he? Peyton Spencer for Auckland. The Ian Kirkpatrick Medal, this is for the Heartland Championship. Bryn, uh, sorry, uh, Sia Kakala, South Canterbury. Sam Parks from Ngati Poro East Coast. And Semi Vodasisi from Whanganui. Dwayne Monkley Medal, this is for the best player in ITM Cup or in the MPC. Bryn Gatlin, North Harbour. Imoni Narewa, Bay of Plenty, Peter Lucky Wellington. Uh, I'm still struggling with how Bryn Gatlin gets nominated, but he did. Uh, Maybe I just don't like Bryn Gatlin. Why is that? Maybe I'm just being a bit harsh on him. Because he doesn't have enough Instagram followers What I get with the program. No, he's got got lots. Yeah, but not not compared to Rico Ioane, mate. Not compared to Rico Ioani. But that's not a reason for not liking him. Yes, it is. Oh, okay. Okay, maybe that's the reason why. Maybe that is the reason why. Right, we've got the... Uh, Fio O'Famasili uh, Medal. Luca Connor, Bay of Plenty. Maya Joseph Otago and Charmaine Smith Northland. So that is the women's Farrah Palmer Cup Player of the Year. ASB National Men's Coach of the Year, Leo Crowley Wellington. Scott Robertson Crusaders, Nigel Walsh, South Canterbury. ASB National Women's Coach of the Year, Leo uh, Blair Baxter Canterbury. Alan Bunting, Chiefs. Manawa, and Blair Cross for Hawke's Bay. DHL, Super Rugby Pacific Player of the Year, Will Jordan Crusaders, Stephen Perifetta Blues, Artie Sevier Hurricanes. Yeah, I'm... Yeah, probably got to go Will Jordan there, don't you? Sky Super Rugby, Alpaki Player of the Year, Women's Super Rugby, Luca Connor for the Chiefs, Liana Mika Ali Tu'u for the Blues, and uh, Joanna Nanwu for the Hurricanes. The Tom French Memorial Multi Player of the Year, Ruahi DeMont, Stacey Fuller, TJ Perinara. The Richard Crawshaw Memorial All Blacks Sevens Player of the Year, Narohi McGarvey Black, Sam Dixon, Caleb Tangiatao. Blackfern Sevens Player of the Year, Michaela Blythe, Sarah Harini. And Risi Puri Lane. Black Ferns Pro of the Year, Ruahi DeMont, Theresa Fitzpatrick, Stacey Fuller, Sarah Hirani. All Black Pro of the Year, Geordie Barrett, Adi Severe, Samasoni Taki Ahal, Sam Whitelock. Adidas National Men's Team of the Year, Crusaders, Nati Pro East Coast, South Canterbury, Wellington. And Adidas National Team of the Year, Canterbury, Chiefs Manawa, and Hawke's Bay. So we might have a look at those nominees after 10 o'clock and Maybe you could jump on the phone and give us your thoughts on 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833. Six minutes away from nine o'clock after nine o'clock. Peter Mears is out of Australia to review the Australian international season. Thoughts on Dave Rennie. And we will also catch up with Dale Budge around about nine thirty and review and reflect on a very good series by the Auckland Tuatara against the Auckland Blue Sox against the Sydney Blue Sox in the Australian Baseball League. Updating the softball for you. So top of the sixth, it is New Zealand leading by three runs to one. Argentina batting. So six outs away if New Zealand can do it from winning a really important game against the current world champions. Three balls, two strikes, and that will be a walk. So there will be a runner on base with no outs. So not a good start to the top of the sixth for the Black Sox. Um, Just trying to get an idea of what sort of crowd is in here for these World Championships. How much coverage are they getting in the paper? I mean, we've had a media who have been adamant on equity in and around the Women's Rugby World Cup and equity in sport. Uh, Yet they seem to themselves have a prejudice towards sports like softball and I think at times other blue-collar sports. Most successful New Zealand sports team are the men's softball team, seven world championships. Women have won six Rugby World Cups. Men have won the three. There's people like Jason Wynyard in the sport of axe chopping who have won a number of World Championships. We'll see the double play from the Black Sox, safe at first, out at second, so one out. Couldn't quite get the double play, though. Anyway, we'll continue the discussion coming up after 9 o'clock here on SENZ. 9 o'clock, you're listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you. Telephone number's 0800 150 811. We're going to talk Australian rugby now. A bit of a recap on the Wallaby season. It started on July 2nd. They, were, they ended up beating England in the first test of the season by 30 points to 28. They would then go on and lose the next two tests to England, 25 points to 17, and then 21 points to 17. They'd bounce back three weeks later and beat Argentina at home, 41 points to 26. They would then lose to Argentina, then lose to South Africa, in fact, they would beat South Africa 25-17, then they would lose to South Africa by 24 points to 8. They should have beaten us, and really they did beat us in that first Bledisloe Cup game. However, it does go down as a 39-37 defeat. Then blown off the park at Eden Park, 40 points to 14. Northern Hemisphere, to it, beat Scotland 16 points to 15. Almost tipped up the number one side in the world, France, but ended up getting beaten by 30 points to 29 And then the one that Peter Mears sensed might be coming, but no one really thought would happen, Italy beat Australia 28 points to 27. Good performance against Ireland, but ended up losing 13 points to 10. And then somehow they snatched victory from the jaws of defeat, beating Wales in the last test of the year, 39 points to 34 so five wins, nine test losses. Peter Mears joins us on the programme. Peter, good evening, welcome.
11: Thanks, what Yeah, it's interesting listening to those statistics. They were pretty close, except for the one against New Zealand that was a bit of a blowout, but um, not a bad season. I mean, they could, have, they could have won five out of five on that tour uh, through Europe, and it just shows that there's a bit of immaturity, a bit of inconsistency, a lot of ill-discipline. Uh, quite often, though, trying to match teams that had uh, one or two more players because they had players in the bin. But, uh, of course, that will come. And uh, I think, overall, they're shaping quite well for the World Cup in 10 months' time.
1: I know you've been a little bit critical, and others have been critical with Dave Rennie in terms of not often a lot of consistency in selection week to week. But I guess one thing Australian rugby needs is depth, needs competition for places, Um But in trying to achieve that, that might mean losing some tests. Do you feel that there is um, some rationale in that?
11: I think that's what Rennie's plan was on the tour, to give all the fringe players a go, to see how they shape up with a view for the long term of the World Cup next year. And it, it didn't pay off. It backfired against Italy because they ran the second string side out against Italy. When you look at the record, 18 wins to Australia and no losses, you thought, well, you know, he's backing a fairly good favourite, but uh, he got beaten by a very good Italian side, I've got to say. It's the best I've ever seen Italy play, and their style of football was to be commended much better than the usual 10-man game they used to play. They were really good.
1: Mm. So, Dave Rennie, how was he... Uh, being received by the rugby public is he the reason why they're losing or are people realistic to say look at the moment as it has been probably for the last 10 years there's just not the depth there um and you know you you can only really you've still got to have the talent you you can only play the cattle you've got yeah i think
11: people are realistic the old timers anyway the young ones want instant gratification of course but um that's not going to happen with Australian rugby because you know, we just don't have the numbers, we don't have the depth. But uh, I think he's been commendably uh, resolute and determined in his efforts and the, the ultimate test to me is what the players think. And you can tell from the interviews that they do that they just love playing for Renny. They adore the way he prepares the team, the way he selects the team, and that's shown in the, the football they play in the park. I mean... That try they scored against France was as good a try as you'd see all season, I reckon. Um, And some of the the fight back in the last 25 minutes against Wales to come back from 21 points down um, to score 23 points in the last 20 minutes is pretty outstanding and showed the spirit in the team. And it's also showed the strength of the bench guys and how good these young fringe players really can be.
1: Let's talk about those young fringe players. Who are the players that have impressed you this year? Who are the players that you think are going to have or will end up spending a lot of time in the Wallaby jersey going forward?
11: Well, there's one name that I love trying to say. Mark Nwanganitawasi. It took me a while practicing that. Marky Mark, as they call him, with a terrible Fijian name. But wow, what a talent. He's a superstar in the budding at the moment. Um, I imagine you've seen his last couple of matches. He showed his glimpses of his ability in the Australia A game against Japan, where he stood up one of their star wingers and scored a brilliant try with an in and away and a surge of speed. But he he goes looking for the ball. He's big, strong, athletic. Uh, got very strong legs and uh, a pretty impressive upper body. He's a big boy, and I thought he was the takeaway superstar of the autumn tour for the Australians. If you think uh, ahead, the back three of Nwana, Nitawasi, Korambeti and Kellaway would pose a threat for kick returns and with players like Cooper, Foley, Lollisio, they've got some depth in the playmakers. If you go into the halves, you've got uh, White and McDermott. I think Gordon's got to take a breather. He seems to be in trouble the whole time when he plays and you've got another yellow against Wales. Uh, in the centres, you can take your pick from Pisami, Paisami, and uh, with players like Campbell, Wright, Pataia as backups. The pack is always a bit of a toss-up with Australia, it just seems to be, but it looks pretty solid with the experience of Slipper and Alalatoa. There's depth in the hookers with Parecki, Fahengar and Lonnegan, And uh, the props, we've got uh, Robertson and Bell. In the back row, there's Hooper, Valatini, Samu, Gleason, McWright. So there's plenty of strength there. The weakness is in discipline. The most cards of any tier one team in the last season. And that is a problem that Rennie's got to work on.
1: Yeah, it's OK. Let's go back, though. If the World Cup was to be held next month, who's your halfback first five combination?
11: Nick White. And if, if Quade Cooper was said, I'd pick him every day. Uh, But if he wasn't fit, I'd pick Lola the young one. I think he's just got talent that Bernard Foley's never going to have. I mean, Bernie's not bad. He's consistent. But uh, he just doesn't have the X-factor.
1: Midfield combination?
11: Uh, Karevini and Paisami would be my centres. Uh, on the wings, let me think. Uh, probably, it's hard. <laughs>
1: I'm thinking, mate. That's all right. Um, no, I'll put you on the spot a little bit, Peter. But,
11: Tom, Well, Coram Betty's one for me. Oh, and no one going to I keep forgetting he's in the new boy. So they're, they're the two wingers for sure. and Both of them are outstanding this last season. Pity that we didn't have Colin Betty for the autumn tour, but he's a match winner every day of the week.
1: Uh, um, not a bad lineup, is it? No, Tony uh, Tupo, the Tongan and Thor out of Sacred Heart College here in Auckland. Where's he at at the moment? I sort of feel that I don't know. Perhaps he's just got a little bit too full of himself. Um, not as fit as he could have been. Um, where does, where, where's he sort of fit at the moment?
11: Well, I think it all goes back to the fact that his partner had a baby and he took a month off to be with the child and help with the birth and all that sort of thing. And with a bloke of his physique, he loses fitness pretty quickly. And that's one of the outstanding things about the and Thor is he's got speed, he's got handling ability, he's not only got strength and scrummaging ability, he's an incredible package when he's on form. But I think this was the worst we've seen of him since he came into the Wallabies in the last um, tour. He just didn't seem fit. He didn't seem motivated. And he had a nagging calf, which I think could turn out to be an Achilles. I'm not sure what the diagnosis is, but when he's fit, he is a force of nature. I mean, he can beat anyone in a scrum, I reckon. He's almost single-handedly changed the Wallabies' scrum. But I don't think you would count on him for the World Cup.
1: You don't think he will get picked, or you don't think he'll be available for the World Cup?
11: I think he's just that problem with his leg. I think he's not going to get better in a in a hurry. Uh, it looks to me when you think of you know 135 kilos on that leg when he's pushing in scrums and trying to sidestep and so forth, puts a lot of pressure on. And it looks like in the manner of the last two injuries, nothing happened. He just stepped in an awkward way and went down in a screaming heap. And, I don't think he'll be around mm. for quite a while.
1: It's funny though, isn't it? You start to lose your fitness. It's amazing how much quicker, how, how much easier it is to actually pick up injuries, and it just shows the It shows the importance yeah. of making sure that you are fit, and particularly match fit.
11: Absolutely, yeah. And if you've got one injury, that normally leads to another one because you're sort of trying to protect the injury. Yeah, you, overcom- uh, you
1: overcompensate okay. on that. You overcompensate on the other leg, absolutely. So, so look, um, there's a bit of a break, and then we're going to get back into uh, Super Rugby Pacifica. Um, are we expecting to see a, a step up again in performance from the Australian teams? Those players that were brought into the wider squads have had a year of Super Rugby behind them. What's the uh, what? Yeah, how much wishful thinking is there from the Australian rugby public? I, I mean, how realistic that the Australian teams can you know, continue that evolution, continue that upward progression?
7: Well,
11: I I think the signs are good, you know. I'm a bit of an optimist, I suppose. I always hope we come around to World Cups. After all, we have won two, so that's pretty impressive for a a country with the number of players that we have. Um, And I think these tours that they've done to Japan and through Europe, have really uh, improved the prospects of players like Noorna Uh but lots of other young fringe players. There's, um, you know, there's a number of youngsters there like uh, that Notts Lonagan, the fellow who scored the winning try, the hooker, against uh, Wales. He's a real prospect. I think he's a better player. He's certainly better at throwing into the line out than fan gar and Dave Parecki's been injured, so I'd say he's our first-choice hooker at the moment, and he's come from the clouds. That Nick Frost, I think he's the best forward prospect we've got, apart from Valentini, who's been very consistent, He's uh, a bit more experienced. But Frost's two metres five tall and plays to it. He's really got ability. I, I think Darcy Swain is a potentially terrific lock, but he's had a bit of trouble with the referees and... The judiciary in recent times, as we all know, and I suppose his name's a dirty word in New Zealand, from what he did, but uh, he's certainly got abilities.
1: Yeah, uh, but that's that discipline thing, isn't it, that you talked about. That is something that sometimes you need, if you want to sort your discipline out, make an example of one player, and you know maybe he's the player that you go, look, guy's got all the talent in the world, we believe in him, but boy, this discipline stuff's just costing us tests.
11: I left a, an obvious one out, uh, Skelton who's been playing in France for so long that we'd forgotten he was in Aussie. And we had him for a couple of tests on this tour and he was really impressive, I thought. He plays to his weight. And he makes that line bend a bit because of his bulk. And uh, uh, apart from him, Matt Phillip is another one, Caterin Neville, who's 35 years of age but still as good a line-out man as we've got. So there's, a, there's certainly a lot more depth, Mark, than we've had for a long while. Uh, provided we can get them fit. I mean, 11 players out of 36 were sent home because of injuries on this tour. Mm. That's, that's too bad. And four of them were Achilles injuries. Mm. There's something wrong with the way they're preparing, I think. Mm.
1: Just looking on that at the end-of-the-year tour, I mean, you came very close to beating France, came very close to beating Ireland. You beat uh, Wales and you've ended up beating Scotland. It will be interesting, won't it, the Northern Hemisphere sides. They always get a little bit cocky when they get one up over the Southern Hemisphere sides, and they've probably had the measure of the Southern Hemisphere for the first time in history over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. But again, those Australian performances, All Blacks went okay, South Africa went well. It just demonstrates too that, you know, they say a week is a long time in politics, but the next nine months is going to be a long time in international rugby and how quickly things can turn around.
11: Yeah, absolutely. What's going to happen to Eddie Jones, I wonder? Uh, Clive club Woodward's given him a real spray and said that England rugby is at an all-time low. Uh, they're doing a, an appraisal of his season. In the next two weeks, they'll have a decision. So do they go to the World Cup with Eddie or do they flick him and get somebody else to give him time in the saddle? I don't know. Everything's up in the air. I mean... I said to you, I think, when we last spoke, when we were about to play Ireland, that I didn't think Ireland were as impressive as everyone thought they were. And I think we should have beaten them if we were just cool-headed. We could have won that match, uh, which we lost by three points. But, uh, you know, we, we beat Scotland. Wales, we beat. It showed uh, that you know, they didn't hang on for the last 20 minutes, is what we've been doing in recent years. So that's good. But I think the Southern Hemisphere teams can beat the Northern Hemisphere teams on their day. It's just on this tour, we weren't uh, as prepared as they were. I mean, they all looked informed and, uh, and you've got to take refereeing into account too. The interpretations are so different, aren't they? Mm. Yeah,
1: I was, I was going to ask you that, Peter. I mean, how, I mean, there's been a few articles written here and I'm a big believer in it as well. That The problem with rugby and the problem with the World Cup next year is that it could just be a bit of a lottery. I mean, you get guys like uh, Matthew Raynard out of France who just seems whistle-happy and brings up rules that you've never seen in the game used before and um, is incredibly pedantic. We see some yellow cards and red cards being given um, for very unintentional head clashes, others similar, and nothing's been done because it's been interpreted as not intentional. And there's a lot of concern that the World Cup might be decided by again, uh, of referees interpretation and everyone says, oh look, try and take the referee out of the game, but when you get the likes of South Africa, Ireland, France, uh, England, I mean, there's not a lot in it. It's pretty hard to take the referee out of it in terms of points on the board.
11: And just depends who's refereeing the big ones. Um, I mean, I hate the rule about um, knock-ons. You go for an intercept and you knock the ball on and you're off for 10 minutes for a deliberate knock forward, as they say. I mean, i Nobody deliberately knocks the ball forward. It's such a silly interpretation of the rule. At the most, it should be a penalty, not a Mm. send-off offence. And, uh, I mean, don't get me started on the rolling Uh, ball. Legalised offside. Yes, legalised obstruction every time. Mm. And very rarely do the referees pick up on it. But occasionally you get one that does. So the poor players don't know what to do they've got to make get some more consistency in the interpretations of these laws because it's different in the Northern Hemisphere to the Southern Hemisphere, that's
1: for sure. Mm. Peter, we had you on a couple of weeks ago because you've written a novel. It's called The Long Shot. It's um, about the murder of a cricketer at the SCG. It's um, to do with match fixing. Um, it's a book of fiction, but it's very different to the books you've previously written. Have you had the official launch, and how's it been received?
11: No, no, we haven't had the official launch. The uh, no rugby club has been very good. They've offered me their venue to host the launch. Gordon Bray is coming up from Sydney, the noted rugby commentator, who's an old mate of mine, uh, so he's going to do the launch. And we've got... Um, We've sent out about 100 invitations. I don't know how many we'll get on the day, but it's on the 12th of December. Monday the 12th of December is the launch. Uh, I just hope the books arrive from England in time because I haven't got a single copy yet. I've got my manuscript in my hot little hand, but no other copies that I can sell to people. Uh, so not having had a book published from an overseas publisher, uh, I'm a little bit uncertain as to what's going to happen, but I think it'll all It's still a couple of weeks to go. So all right, I've well, sent them various emails. Saying, please send
1: my books. Well Peter, lovely having you on the program. I will just encourage our listeners one more time. The book when it is released, it's called The Long Shot. It's um gonna be a very good read, something slightly different, written by Peter Mears. Um it is a it is a, a thriller. It is hopefully gonna be end up being a bestseller and word on the street is that if they end up making a movie, I'll probably get a starring role in it, Peter.
11: Absolutely. You're the private eye come cricket commentator, what
1: are? Yeah, good looking fella too that to be fair. To you? Yeah, no, that does appeal to me. <laughs>
11: He's uh, good-looking, young, hot-headed. <laughs> All your qualities.
1: <laughs> hey, Peter! Lovely having you on your program. Thank you for joining us as always.
11: Thanks,
1: mate. There yes. you go, Peter Mears, out of Australia. It is uh, coming up to 20 minutes after nine, nine thirty. Dale Budge on the program. We'll talk some Tuatara baseball. I can update the softball world championships at the moment. The New Zealand team are playing Argentina, the defending world champions. It is the bottom of the sixth. New Zealand lead by five runs to one. Two outs, a runner on first, Tawera Bishop, who was catcher for the Auckland Tuatara two years ago, as part of the Tuatara baseball team lineup. Outstanding softballer, has just hit an RBI single and brought another run home. So, five runs to one. And that will bring the inning to a close. And so. The Black Sox are three outs away from wrapping up a really important win at the Softball World Championships. 20 and a half minutes after nine. 25 minutes after nine, uh, Ben Francis, how are we? How are we doing? Pretty good. Just updating the softball. 5-1 New Zealand lead, top of the seventh. Runner on first. Argentinian player just got a nasty one on the glove. You know, not like cricket gloves. They're just basically like a golfer's glove and... Pitch was just high and just couldn't get out of the way. Nothing malicious in it. But ow, that would have hurt. That rock ball that they use in softball is a hard, hard ball. I mean, you're coming down at sort of 80, 90 mile an hour and jamming your fingers. You come out of that one with just bruising. You'd be lucky, I would have thought. But that does put a runner on first now. So runners on first and second, top of the seventh. So job not done yet by the Black Sox. Doesn't look like a a super large crowd in, which is a little bit of a shame. But a must-win game, a really important game. Argentina, sort of the emerging power in softball, the defending world champions. Got to say, Ben never played a lot of softball growing up. was at a couple of schools that were quite big on it, though. But I grew up in Mount Albert and I overlooked what they used to have as the Coca-Cola Bottlers Park. And the Mount Albert Ramblers were very much the club and still are the Ramblers, still arguably um, the best club in the country or one of those clubs that always has that reputation, one of those clubs that's they have a bad season, they're never too far away from redeeming themselves. And I always remember when I was coaching Mark Sorensen in triathlon, the New Zealand men's coach for softball, he said that you love playing at Coca-Cola Bottlers Park and always trying to hit a home run down Hendon Avenue. Uh, Hendon Avenue is almost where the... Waterview Tunnel in Auckland now goes under, which is the tunnel that now allows you access out onto out to the airport, um, versus having to always go through the centre of the city and through Newmarket. And now, Runner moves to. I think we might have the bases loaded now. We do. What they call in baseball, ducks on the pond runners on first, second and third pitcher just getting just losing a little bit of control and just another Argentinian batter just getting hit on the gloves so we will keep you updated and hopefully Black Sox can get the job done and is it the Black Sox or the White Sox? Black Sox isn't it? White Sox baseball team sorry there's so many different names these days for these New Zealand teams, and then you get the men and then you get the women and everyone's got a slightly different slant on it. I might have a look at that too. Just just start text us in. Which one of those names do you like? Which one of those names don't you like? You know, the black socks, the tall blacks. True story. I actually think the men's badminton team is known as the black Cox because of the shuttlecock. Seriously. Check that out. Check that out for me, Ben. I don't mean that in any derogatory way, And, um, but yeah. Um, as you say, Badminton. Yeah, Babington, and then we've got the you've got the Black Jacks, which is the Lawn Bowls. What do they call a New Zealand team in darts?
2: Uh well, usually in in darts, you don't usually play as a represent your country. They do have, have the World Cup, but it's just simply your country. But I I, I don't they don't think, don't think they've got a nickname. Maybe that's a question I could
1: pose to uh, Ben Rob tomorrow. Yeah, maybe you could. Um, what do we? So the hockey team are the Black Sticks for both the men's and the women's, aren't they, the Black Sticks? Black Caps for the cricket team. Which ones do you like, which ones don't you like? And maybe, maybe in a humorous way, some of these other teams you might want to come up with some names, but be careful because I might not be able to read them out.
2: I can confirm the the apparently the, the badminton team is the name you made a reference
1: to. C-O-X? Correct. Yeah, Black Cox, as in shuttlecock. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd want that as my name. I think all that does is open you up to a little bit of grief, doesn't it?
2: Well, it kind of. Just looking at it a bit more, it looks like. <laughs> seen some terrible puns just looking online, but uh, it looks like it was 2004. The name was chosen, but I don't know how long it actually stuck around for. Yeah, I think it was part of like a quirky marketing exercise, uh, but I don't know how long it actually lasted.
1: Well, sometimes be careful what you wish for. It's a bit like I was doing some commentary over the weekend and we're going to talk to him in one moment. Um, And I had Dale Budge joining me for the Tuatara commentary in an expert role. And I introduced him as Mr. Baseball. He said, you can't call me Mr. Baseball. I hate that. So, of course, I just continued to call him Mr. Baseball. Never tell someone, don't call me that Because you will get called that, won't you? I can tell you, Argentina have battered a run in, so it's now 5-2. They've got runners on first and second, top of the seventh, no outs. So some work to be done by this New Zealand Black Sox team if they're to beat the world champions. It's not over just yet. We'll take a break, we'll come back, we'll talk baseball. Twenty-five minutes away from Ken updating the softball world championships. The Black Sox still leading five-two, three outs away from wrapping this game up against Argentina, the current world champions. They have made a pitching change. Veteran Peter Rona has come in for the Black Sox. Tawera Bishop, the Tuatara player, baseball player, is catching for the Black Sox. Wonderful athlete. And it is now baseball that we are going to talk. We are going to talk the Auckland Tuatara because we had the Sydney Blue Sox in Auckland, over the weekend, it was the first home series for the Tuatara for this season. Their first two series were away in Brisbane and in Canberra. To discuss the series over the weekend is Mr Baseball. I know he loves that name. Dale Budge. Hi, Dale.
7: <laughs> Hello, I'm good. I don't like that name.
1: How is Mr <laughs> Baseball anyway? Did you have a good weekend?
7: Oh, I've had a reasonable weekend, yeah. Getting a lot of mate, uh, grief from my baseball mates about the uh, nickname that you
1: sort of given me. Well, you, the worst thing you can say is tell someone not to call you that, and then you end up getting called that, Dale. Hey, uh, Dale, we spoke. Yes, we, we spoke last week, and we we and you you're fairly um, positive in regards to the offense from the Tuatara, and the hitting had gone pretty well. We you felt, and I probably shared that sentiment that the pitching probably still had a little bit of work to go, and it was still a little bit of a work on. It wasn't quite there yet. We won the game Friday night 2-1. We were beaten up badly six runs to one in the second game Saturday afternoon. Bounced back and won the third game 4-2. And then Sunday we're leading three runs to nothing, bottom of the fourth before the rain came and washed that game out. Based on that, based on what you saw, did you see an improvement in the pitching? How did you rate that Tuatara performance this week? Uh, yeah, good
7: question. Good question, Mike. Um I think the pitching may have taken a slight step forward. Uh, still, still a fair few things to work on, but Bukligoski was good Friday night um, in, in his first outing. You can see that he's obviously going to be a, a pretty key weapon for the Tuatara in that rotation uh, as, he, as he builds up his innings strength. And I imagine he'll go a little bit further again in Perth on, on the weekend. Toru Mar- Marata was really good on Sunday, uh, but in between here, yeah, I mean Ben Thompson gave a, a reasonable start. A couple of little errors got punished badly and um, some of the relievers a little bit shaky uh, at times, just not on the same page with the catcher. There obviously was a couple of issues around catching over the weekend. But uh, The bigger concern probably this week was the, the hitting, which had been going gangbusters in Brisbane and Canberra, and they just didn't hit um, over the weekend. Did enough to get the job done uh, on Friday night, really through creative managing more than anything else. Um, came up with a key hit, so I guess, they needed on the Saturday night game. Uh, were awful as you said on, on the early game Saturday and looked a little bit better back to where they had been on, on Sunday so not sure that the the side could have stepped forward over the weekend two wins out of three I guess you'd take in reasonable shape I mean what will happen with that washed out game is that they'll pick that up when they get to Sydney and just carry on for that extra inning in a bit um, so you'd like to think that with a three run advantage you should be able to close that one out in Sydney and and uh, perhaps pick up a, a third win for that
1: series. So, Dale, just on that, so, as I said, it was rained off. I think we just had the one out uh, for the Tuatara leading three runs, bottom of the fourth. So will they just play five innings, which constitutes a game, or will they play the full seven? Yep.
7: No, so what they'll do there is that, you know, they'll complete the minimum five innings to, to register a game. Um, so the Friday night had been scheduled for a nine-inning a nine game. What they'll now do is start at the same time at 7 o'clock, local time in Sydney, complete the game we started yesterday from the exact same position it was in, uh, and then play a seven-inning game subsequent to that on uh, Friday night. There'll be two seven-inning seven games on the Saturday, which was always the schedule, and then a nine-inning game on Sunday to finish that, that Sydney series.
1: And that's always been locked in, is it? So everyone knows at the start of the season, that how it go if halfway through a game is washed out?
7: Yeah, this, look, it, it, it's, it's not absolutely locked in. I mean, we you can, you try to complete the game, so... Had Sydney not been flying out as early as they were on Sunday, perhaps we might have waited around, though I had my doubts, given the amount of rain that has been around earlier in the week, whether the the, the field would have dried out in time. Um, You know, if if it was, say, a Friday night game that got washed out, you'd just try and slot in an extra game across the weekend. If if the Tuatara had already played Sydney in Sydney, then we might be talking about just the the game being shared, uh, points as such being split, or just being a 39-game regular season and going on percentages from that point Mm. on. Um yeah, it it sort of depends on where you're at the schedule. So they'll try and make this one up, but assuming there's no weather in Sydney, it shouldn't be
1: a problem. Gonna be a tough series in Sydney because their record and we all agree on it, I think they now sit at what, eight and two or possibly eight and three, eight losses, three wins. Um they're getting better though, aren't they? They showed here that those early season results are not a true reflection of how good they are and they're only going to get better and perhaps the turning point in their season did come on that Saturday afternoon against this Auckland side?
7: Yeah, I think, I think so. I think the first two series results were maybe a little bit of an aberration. You know, like they are better than that. Having, having said that, their game is, is very much built around their starters getting the jobs up. They don't have overpowering stuff. They had the Tuatara hit better through the series. They got to those starting pitches early maybe there'd be a bit of a weak out in the in that Sydney bullpen. And perhaps that's what, I think that is essentially what Brisbane and Canberra were able to do those first two weeks. And that's a big advantage for those two sides, because they've bailed Sydney early, they've got the wins. it's now up to the Tuatara to try and close the gap. And you know, even if it ends up ultimately being three, um, you know, Brisbane took three, Canberra swept Sydney. So there's no advantage there for the Tuatara, despite getting a, a reasonable series result there. So um, yeah, you're right. Whoever comes up against them a the second time through is going to probably find a, a better Blue Sox outfit. and Maybe they could do some teams a favour by knocking over the other teams in the, in the, um, in the division. Mm. You,
1: you mentioned the likes of Marata, um, Kyle Goloski um, on the mound for the Tuatara. Are we starting to now, after three series, get a sort of sense of who those starters will be in when we get into the later part of December uh, throughout the January series? Are we starting to yeah. know who's on and who's not and who starts, who comes in in the relief role, who comes in in that closing role?
7: Yeah, I think so. And, and that has been a, a little bit of a challenge with this roster. There are guys that are capable of either starting or coming out of the bullpen. Uh, ben Thompson, young Kiwi, who's been pretty good uh, through the first three weeks. I he was really good out of the bullpen in Brisbane. Uh, did a reasonable job, albeit the short start. Got sort of rate interrupted at lost his way a little bit with the rain, which were very difficult conditions in Canberra. And then I thought he was reasonably good on on Saturday without a whole lot of run support or, um, you know, Tom's the fielding was a little bit scratchy, uh, particularly the catching um, was a little bit scratchy. So he didn't get a whole lot of support. He, he wants to start, and I think he will give him every opportunity to, to prove himself as a starter. Um, I think Wing has, has looked the best at the Taiwanese pitchers as a starter, and I, I I just get a feeling, and you know, I sort of wait to see what the roster looks like when Mincy um, names it probably tomorrow, um, when the wing will be back in that starting role. You wanted to have a look at, at you. You looked good in Canberra, not so flash, um, as he talked about, in that, in that Saturday afternoon performance on the weekend. So I think at this stage, to me, it looks like Bogoski, Morata for sure, on the Friday and the Sunday, and then perhaps Ben Thompson and, and Wing, Wake on Wing is uh, the most likely starting rotation for the Tuatara moving court?
1: Now we had a young Japanese player just come in. Um, we didn't have a lot of information on. I don't actually have his name here in front of us, but there was a light there was a lot to like about the way he pitched as well. a lot of variety, didn't necessarily bring the pure heat, but very, very good control of the slider uh, and the breaking ball.
7: Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's sort of what he has has you know been signed to do Lefty... Yeah, the lefty-lefty matchup is key in this league. Um, and a, a lefty that can throw good breaking balls, as you talked about, is is something that teams have struggled with. We saw Ryota Okamoto, um, local player, uh, be a real handful, particularly for the Brisbane Bandits in that division over the last couple of years that Tuatana have been around, uh, which is very left-handed, heavy-hitting, um, have a lot of success. And, and I think that's sort of what Mitzi and and Regan were looking at when they saw him pitch in Japan in that trial in Tokyo just before the season started, as the opportunity came up, um, so Huang uh, is, uh, is probably heading back to um, Taiwan at the stage. we just not quite where he needs to be at the moment. His development, he'll be a, a good player, but not quite there yet, and Josh Gessner, unfortunately, has been shut down. His arm just not anywhere near where it needs to be, the next strangest youngster, so he's gone back to his native Australia and that will take no further part in the ABL. So there is a spot that opened up. uh, Obviously, Klogoski coming back onto the roster, and then Rio Rio, Kawigasi, this left-hander. I think that's where the Tuatara have been a little bit light, having a good lefty breaking ball pitcher in the the out-of-the-ball other than Oscar Nakoshi, They they really didn't have a whole lot of options. Now they can uh, alternate those two across a weekend. Both of them are independent pitchers, so they don't have any restrictions in terms of having to have a day off or anything like that. It's... Um, that you get with the affiliate players. So, yeah, those two, I think, we'll we'll see a fair bit of them. It's short bursts, probably only one inning at a time, um, which might be the best way to
1: use them. OK, Dale, look, uh, the team jump on a plane later in the week, head off to Perth, take on the Heat. The Heat uh, in the other division, the South West division, to sit in the North East division. But the Perth Heat, seven wins, five losses, which suggests that they are beatable, that they don't necessarily um have a side that's lights out.
7: Oh look i will be competitive and just in the nature, it's the longest road trip obviously, going all the way to the west coast of Australia. It's a tough road trip it's you know, but thankfully the Tuatara are able to do it um direct on the way over. They'll be making a number of stops when they come back via Africa just about on the way home. Um but at least yeah on the way over they should be in reasonable shape when they get there. Yeah, perfectly perfect to be a challenge. And they've had the wood over the Tuatara the first few years as the side's so been in the Competition. They played them early. Um, that was the opening, very, very first series way back in the eighteen nineteen season. It was the first same series here in Auckland uh, last time round as well. Kumatara were pretty slow out of the blocks uh, both of those seasons and, the, and he crushed them on both occasions. So a little bit of payback probably on the mind of Steve Mitz, who was around and, and at the helm of both of those series. The players probably there weren't too many that, uh, that double up from that. But um, yeah, Mintz, I think if they could go over and split the series. You know, two-two, that'd be a pretty good result. They'd be, would be reasonably happy. But, but, um, would certainly, want, yeah, the Friday night game is just so crucial in these series. So Again, with the Friday night games, so it takes the pressure off, and you know, anything you can get from there becomes an advantage, particularly on the road. So, uh, I'm sure they'll target the Friday night with Logoski uh, likely to be on the mound.
1: Dale Budge, appreciate your time on the program tonight. Enjoy the rest of the week in Queenstown. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Dale Budge there, Mister Baseball. Thirteen and a half minutes away from ten o'clock. They come back and play at home against the Melbourne Aces Friday week. There'll be a Friday night game, two games on the Saturday, one game on Sunday. You want to see something different, you want a novelty, get to North Harbour Stadium, watch the Tuatara play. It really is a very, very cool spectacle. It is 13 minutes away from 10. I can tell you that the Black Sox, who were leading by five runs to one, It is now tied up at five runs each. Big rally in the top of the seventh for the Argentinians. Scored four runs, which means it's now bottom of the seventh. New Zealand have one more at bat. We've just hit a ground ball triple. So we have a runner on third base, no outs. So the winning run is on third base against the current world champions, Argentina. We'll take a break. We'll keep you updated when we come back. Eight minutes away from 10. Mark, good evening. Welcome.
7: Hi, Mark. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. I'm looking forward to uh, getting out to see the Blue Sox this weekend, December 2nd to 4th. I'm over the fourth right ahead, so it'll be good to see some baseball finally after a couple of years of not having any. I think Sydney can do really well.
1: Yeah, who are they playing this week? Well, let me just have a look at the schedule. It will
7: be December 2nd to 4th, Adelaide.
1: Oh, yeah, Adelaide. Yeah, yeah, no, they're hitting well. I'm not sure how, how good they are. Look, as we said, um, they leave Auckland with a, a nine-loss, two-win record. Um, but they're a better side than that. They really are. I, I think it's a very, very good Tuatara team. I think Tuatara are going to be hard to beat. But Sydney, um, I, I wouldn't want to be playing them now um, because I think we saw a turnaround in their form in this series against Auckland.
7: Oh, absolutely. I think it's a really good uh, indicator of how better Sydney is getting because during the past few years, when we've started the season, we've really struggled. But I think, you know, on a record like we've got now, I think we're on a real roll.
1: Yeah. Um, Look, it's it's a long season. Uh, Like anything, you don't win it in the month of November. You win it in the month of January. It's about being one of the top two in each division and having that momentum going into it.
7: And does SENZ carry Tuatara games?
1: No, I think SEN in Melbourne might have some rights over the Melbourne Aces and might um, do some commentary on the Melbourne Aces game, but not across the league, no.
7: OK, I guess I'd have to look on the ABL website, maybe.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, I mean, I'm, you know, i clearly heavily involved with the Tuatara, so I'm happy to give it coverage. Mind you, I'm happy to give most sports coverage. Uh, just a lot of the time, a lot of the media people don't really sort of get in touch. and. Um. But, yeah, no, look, I'm always open to different sports and always fascinated and interested in how different sports operate and run.
7: Yep, it seems like with baseball and softball, New Zealand's doing a lot better than other sports at the
1: moment. Well, we were just saying we hope that um, New Zealand beat Argentina because at least one team would have beaten Argentina at home this year. Oh, very much, very much.
0: Mm. And
7: right. uh, thanks a lot, Mark. All right, cheers, Great mate. show as usual. No, thank you. All right, six, thanks a lot. Six
1: minutes away from 10, you're listening to SENZ, so it is... We've got two outs, we've got loaded bases, bottom of the seventh, New Zealand need one run to wrap this game up and beat the defending world champions Argentina at the softball World Cup, has a swing at a ball that he should have left, I'm not sure who's batting at the moment, we've got the volume down here. But there has been a lot of discussion between pitchers and catchers, been a lot of discussion between the umpires and management. If this goes into extra inning, New Zealand could be in a bit of trouble because it is very much Argentina who have suddenly got the momentum, which so often you do see in sport, don't you? See a team dominate, but you know at some point. Particularly if you go into the game and you think these are two evenly matched teams and one team does get off to a really good start, you know that other side at some point is going to get a bit of a momentum shift. And so you can never take your hand off it. It is five runs each still. And we will probably have to update you at 10 o'clock as we're coming into a mandatory compulsory commercial break. Just on the commercials, the companies that you hear advertising on the station, if they are involved in a purchasing decision in the future, a brand, and you're thinking, do I pick this brand? Do I pick that brand? Please go with those companies and those organisations and those brands that get behind SEN so we can stay alive and we can bring you sport pretty much 24 hours of the day. We'll be back at 10 o'clock, 5 all. Extra inning going on between the current men's softball world champions, Argentina and the New Zealand men's team tied up at five runs each at the top, the bottom of the seventh. Now they're going to the top of the eighth. Automatically a player goes on second base and we continue until somebody scores that winning run. New Zealand still to bat. Argentina currently batting at the moment. Anyway, time to talk the FIFA Football World Cup. England take on Wales, 8 o'clock Wednesday morning, New Zealand time. Looking forward to this one. Gareth Southgate, the England manager, under a lot of criticism for maybe being a little bit too conservative in his approach, not attacking enough. They were awful against the United States. Or are we not giving the USA enough credit? Andy Buckley, BBC football commentator, a Manchester City man through and through, but more importantly, just an outstanding gentleman, joins us on the programme. Andy, good evening, welcome. Good evening, Mark. You okay? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, thank you. Um, I was disappointed by that England result. I I really do support the England football team and I probably expected them off the back of the victory over Iran to get the job done and it ended up being nil all and a pretty drab and dreary performance.
12: And it pretty much sums up the World Cup, doesn't it? Not drab and dreary, far from it. It's been quite exciting, I think. It's been good entertainment. But the unpredictable nature, really, of the World Cup. And I don't think you can go... Uh, gliding through a tournament if you're going to win it and expect to be uh, perfect in every game. So maybe it was a little bit of a wake-up call that perhaps England needed. Shades of uh, England in the summer when they didn't do... uh, Well, New Zealand winter when they didn't do that well in the Nations League, which was obviously a warm-up for this uh, uh, showpiece occasion. But, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Gareth Southgate very much under the microscope with his selections. And uh, is he going to be Mr. Cautious again? And uh, uh, stick to the, well, not tried and trusted, because I I think people would question whether people like Mason Mount should be in the team, whether Raheem Sterling should be in the team, and whether he should just gamble a little bit show more of an instinct to kill off uh, the opposition. But we're, we're still in the early stages of the tournament. England will get through, no doubt about that. I don't think there's going to be any freak result that lets Wales go through. Uh, and um, it's just all about selection. But I think there was a, an air, certainly in England on Friday when the game took place early hours Saturday for you, that um, after the Iran win that were up and running and then it was a bit of a reality check. But there's going to be a lot of um, scrutiny on this game against Wales.
1: Phil Foden not being used yet. They brought on Jordan Henderson. A lot of discussion around that. Again, a very conservative substitution. What is it with Phil Foden? I know that he hasn't always done the job for England, but we know what he's done at Manchester City. People want to see this guy play. He is, as a lot of commentators said throughout the start of the English Premier League season, build your England team around this guy.
12: Exactly, exactly. And sometimes in adversity, you can find the successful winning formula. So maybe... Uh, Southgate will get the message uh, and he will include Foden uh, hopefully tomorrow. I mean, I'd play Henderson and Rice, to be honest with you, as a pivot uh, in defence to protect the defence. And, and and they can try it out against the USA because England, England are going to go through. So try Rice and Henderson and then have people like Grealish and Foden and maybe Madison in a more adventurous uh, formation, even Rashford up front. Uh, he's going to play Harry Kane. People are saying, well, leave him out, let him have a rest. Um, but he, I don't think he'd, he'd drop Harry Kane. He would, well, not drop, but rest him. Uh, but I'd play Madison, I'd play Grealish, I'd play Foden, I'd play Henderson. And um I'd just show a little bit of initiative and just sort of, rather than this pragmatic, cautious approach that, that has undone Southgate in the past and could haunt us again this time.
1: Yeah, and you're not going to win at playing that cautious. You're not, there were just... Too many sides out there, and, yeah, look, I know that defence will ultimately you win your World Cup, but attack will win you a game, and at the moment you've got to start winning some games. Um, what's the discussion around Trent Alexander-Arnold? Are there people in his corner wanting to see him perhaps play? Because yeah. we know how good he is in terms yeah. of distributing, in terms of um, the entry pass into the area.
12: Yeah, I think, again, I, I just think it's worth taking that uh, chance with him. Um yeah, he's always got a mistake in him, but then again, Harry Maguire's played, so uh, the, the England defence have got a mistake, and I thought Trippier was a bit disappointed the other night. I'd put Alexander-Arnold in tomorrow. I think it's, it's, almost, I don't, I'm, it's almost a free hit for England tomorrow, and it's a chance, really, to find a winning formula, which is a rarity in a World Cup, that you've got a game that you can afford to just not experiment. He knows what he's going to get from these players. I think from a Manchester City fan's perspective regarding Phil Foden, it suddenly is like the weight of the whole of England could be on Foden's shoulders tomorrow if he plays. And if he doesn't measure up to the standards that he's shown repeatedly for Manchester City as well, he shouldn't have played in. But And that's not Foden's fault, but it's why, that's why he should have been in really. So you can afford to have one game where perhaps you're not completely on it and you can still stay in the side but it's almost as though all right here's one chance take it otherwise uh, you're not going to be playing but um I, I i do think though i mean it might sound as though i'm being pessimistic here there's a chance that england could win this world cup because from what i've seen of everybody else so far i don't see any team and uh, forgive the cliche because we are playing in the world cup but there's any world beaters that oh. you're gonna think oh i don't want to play them oh, don't I, want to
1: play them I, I wouldn't want to be playing france to be honest
12: uh, yeah, but but again, not um, not not as formidable as as you'd think. And also, if you look back at past winning World Cup teams, um, I'm not sure I'd put the France team of four years ago, and never, never mind this one, in that category. So yeah, they, they've got they, you know they are one of the favourites, quite rightly so. But uh, England can beat them. Mm,
1: yeah, no, fascinating. Um... We mentioned Harry Maguire there. To be fair to Harry Maguire, I thought he played bloody well, actually, against the United States.
12: Uh, yeah, he did. He did. Uh, but um, it's just not happening for Harry at the moment. But then again, he, he's, he's always got a goal in him. So, yes, you'd have Harry Maguire in, but you might not have him in tomorrow. That's my point, really. Just leave him out and let him, uh, let him get fresh for the next two th- weeks. Because you know, if you're going to go all the way, if you're going to go deep in this tournament... Uh, people like Harry Maguire's fitness, anybody's fitness, is going to have a question mark against it because you know, they are prone to, to knocks that can keep them out. But, uh, yeah, I thought he um, did all right. Uh, Harry came the other night. and uh, uh, But a lot of anticipation, a lot of expectation tomorrow. Uh, going to be a massive game.
1: Yeah, how do Wales play this? What are Wales hoping to get out of it? Do they honestly believe they can beat England? And if they are to beat England, how do they do it? What Park the bus and then just play the long ball and hope, do they?
12: Yeah, I think so, and I just think it's the end, though, for a lot of these Welsh players, Gareth Bale, uh, Aaron Ramsey, and I think they're flattered to deceive, to be honest with you. Um, no love lost between the English and the Welsh uh, as much as anything, because I think the Welsh, I mean, the Welsh is only 40 mi- miles away from where I'm talking to you, but you go to North Wales, there's a lot of, hatred and animosity towards English people. And English people don't feel that towards Welsh people. They haven't, they're not really that bothered. It's a bit like Scotland, really. Just get on with your own football. But Wales, for some reason, like Scotland, seems to be preoccupied with what England are doing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Wales, uh, I think they've almost resigned, really, to going out because I, I just don't think that they're going to get the result that they're looking for. Um, I, I, just, I think that, that their defining moment was Iran. Uh, the other the other day, and of course the Iran USA game as well has got its own intrigue in terms of the, the subplot because of the the politics that are involved in it. And uh, I saw a report this morning saying that Iran of uh, the Iranian flag, the USA on the social media post have removed the uh, the the the, um, the logo from the Iran flag. So uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, um, should we say rivalry to put it mildly between those two countries.
1: Yeah, that's not good enough. though. Uh, you know, bastardising or meddling with the nation's flag. I think that's just unacceptable. But anyway, it is what it yeah. is. It adds. To, it's, it's just another yeah. little subplot, isn't it? It's part of the narrative. Um, so, yeah. so what? What is the minimum requirement against Wales? Will one nil be enough? Um, what, what, what's what? What? What's a pass mark yeah. for England to maybe ease people's fears a little bit and.
12: I don't think I don't think we could read too much into it, into it. I think the pass mark is to get through to win the group, and then to look forward to uh, what is it, Ecuador or Senegal potentially, in uh, the last sixteen. And it doesn't matter whether it's one 0 I think England have got to win really, and put together a performance that uh, um, you know it just gives us with a little bit of confidence going into the knockout stages. Which is when a lot of people say that's when the World Cup really gets going. When you get to the, the kind of cut and thrust of uh, the knockout tournament. Although, having said that, I think it's been quite refreshing, really, to see some of the uh, performances from the likes of Saudi Arabia and Japan and everything. It's quite heartening, really, because it hasn't been as predictable, even. And some of the the, the big guns, you know, France aside, but if you think of Germany, Spain last night weren't as convincing as perhaps people thought they were going to be. Um, you know, never write off the Germans is one of the headlines in the English newspapers today. Uh, you can't write them off. Brazil. Argentina have been uh, poor, very poor indeed, I think. Uh, Messi going into Miami, by all accounts, with Phil Neville as his manager, Mark. There you go, that's a a thought, isn't it? That's uh, trending on Twitter in England this morning, the fact that Phil Neville, ex-Manchester United, football journeyman, having won the Champions League, having won the Premier League X number of times, uh, managing Lionel you know, Messi and potentially Busquets, who's supposed to be on his way there as well. To, yeah, oh, well
1: that's, that's the influence of David Beckham, isn't it? I'd imagine the amount of money that Qatar are playing David Beckham he'd probably afford to pay Messi, sort of world-class international wages, can't he? I'd imagine they will sell an awful lot of shirts in Florida in Miami. Um, t- look, just be f- just just moving away from the World Cup, so in this, so we've got these Premier League sides, a lot of them clearly have a lot of players on international duty what what are they doing during this period though? What, what, what are the clubs doing? Um, are they active training? What's the responsibility on those players that well, are not involved at in the World Cup?
12: Yeah, holidays, I think, basically. Uh, my son was in uh, Dubai last week playing golf and he flew back to Manchester on Saturday and he said the Stoke City team were on the play. In economy class, by the way, with him. Uh, and Mirkel Arteta and Phil Jagielka. Arteta, of course, the Arsenal manager. Uh, Jagielka plays for Brentford now. Um, no, he doesn't. He's Sorry, I'm getting mixed up with Ben Mee. But... Um, uh, they were in uh, duty free at Dubai Airport. So I think uh, a lot of people have been playing, um, uh, have been having holidays, and I think they're back this week. Really, I think it's sort of you've had a break, uh, you've had a couple of weeks off, and three weeks on Thursday, Manchester City, Liverpool in the League Cup. Pep Guardiola was playing in a. a I played golf on Friday, and a mutual friend of ours was playing golf with Tommy Fleetwood and Pep Guardiola in a pro am in Dubai. Um, the week last Thursday, it had been. So Pep's been having a bit of a break. They've all been having a break, I think. Uh, and one big date in the calendar, though, Mark, is, is uh, tomorrow evening for you, tonight... Sorry, tomorrow morning for you, tonight for us. And that's the draw for the third round of the FA Cup. Of course. It's always been, traditionally, is always... And even since I was a kid, it was a long, long time ago, it's always been a date... I mean, used to listen to the radio and it would be on at 12.30, English time, lunch time, uh, but it's now on, on telly at uh, 7 o'clock our time tonight. And, you know, Liverpool are in there with a the non-league team. So uh, it, it, it's one of those magical days, really, in English football calendar.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, so what are the likelihood? So will the top clubs get the lower league clubs? Or can it be a little bit like the Caribou Cup where you could still end up getting a Manchester City?
12: And he can get anybody. You can yeah. get anybody. Well, no, in Liverpool, like we'll probably realised. end up.
1: Yeah, no, in Liverpool, like we'll probably end up getting an Arsenal or a Chelsea or somebody.
12: Well, yeah, City. And actually, three weeks on Thursday is uh, the return of the uh, English game, Manchester City against Liverpool. Got the ticket last Thursday, and it's virtually sold out, fifty-five thousand, um, which yeah. is five thousand and so from Liverpool, just up the East Lancs Road, um, thirty miles away. So. Um, You know, when we count down towards that, we're we're close to December, aren't we? It's amazing how quickly uh, it it, it comes round.
1: Are you going to take your box of
12: tissues? (laughs) Well, Liverpool, of course, are the the holders of the Carabao Cup, aren't they? Yeah, look, I've got to be honest.
1: I've got to be honest, I'm not overly confident. Uh, I, I, I think we've got more of a chance, to be honest, beating. Um, Real Madrid in the Champions League round of 16 than we have of beating Manchester City in the Caribou Cup.
12: Yeah, well, I don't know. You don't know what teams they're going to put out that night because they're just on the cusp of a uh, a busy Christmas and New Year that that ends with that third round of the FA Cup. Interesting, really, with Kevin De Bruyne story as well because, you know, he slated, uh, he did an interview in the Guardian newspaper on Saturday, very candid, talking about his frustrations watching his team when he's injured on tv and how he'll get angry about it and a lot of city fans sort of uh resonated with that because he feels the passion he feels the pain when it doesn't quite go his way but he slagged off basically his own belgium team mm. by saying that we're too old to win the world cup which is not exactly the kind of uh, pr that belgium press office would like in the middle of the world cup but uh, maybe speaking the truth but uh, I think the the the, uh, the Belgian press have really uh, gone in for Well, they lost um, they lost the, two,
1: they lost two 0 to Morocco, though. There might be some merit in it. Maybe it's maybe that's might just what he needed to say to maybe get this team to yeah turn it around. Because let's be honest, they've been ranked the number one side in the world, haven't they? Sort of in and out over the last four or yeah. five years.
12: Yeah, yeah, they have. And, but also, De Bruyne has not done it, so he's and it, but he pulled his hands up, so it's almost as though he's a bit disinterested with it. It's almost mm. as though he, he can't. Uh, you just can't get worked up about it, which seems absolutely peculiar to say that, bearing in mind that we were watching, you know, the biggest tournament in the world, and it still is. It's still the biggest tournament in the world.
1: Andy Buckley, lovely having you on the programme. Uh, look, uh, good luck to England against Wales, uh, Wednesday morning, New Zealand time, uh, Tuesday night, UK time. Lovely having you on the show as always. Cheers, thank you. Andy Buckley there, out of the UK, out of Manchester, Manchester City fan, does a lot of commentary for the Manchester City Games for the BBC. I was lucky enough to work with Andy at the World Games this year in Alabama in the States. World Games, if people are not familiar, basically the Olympic Games for non-Olympic sports. If you want to become an Olympic sport, you generally have to go through the World Games. Does not get a lot of coverage here in New Zealand, but very, very big overseas. Now, Updating the softball, still five runs each. Bottom of the eighth. New Zealand have bases loaded. Two outs though. Can they get the job done? Can they win this game an extra inning? Can they be at least one New Zealand team that can beat Argentina at home? However, third out now. And so, we go to the top of the ninth. Still tied up at five runs each. Take a break. We'll come back. We'll keep you updated. Run, 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 run away. Right, updating the softball. Fascinating game between the World Champions Argentina and the Black Sox. And I can tell you that top of the ninth, You automatically, an extra inning, get a player on second base. They have brought the runner home, and so they now lead by six runs to five. One out, and bases are still loaded for, in fact, runners at second and third for Argentina. Argentina leads 6-5, top of the ninth. One out, but runners on... Second and third base. Taweta Bishop is the catcher. I'm not sure who the pitcher is. We don't have this on. But good pitch. Strike given. So count goes to one strike. No balls. So as they'd say in baseball and in softball, you're ahead on the count if you're the pitcher. You're behind on the count if you're the hitter. And so really, really key moment here. They want the double play if they can. The runner on third will come home. If they get some bat on it, runner does come home. And that will be a second run. And that will be a third run. So suddenly, Argentina move out to an eight run to five lead. And that might be enough. Remember, they were down five runs to one, coming into the top of the seventh. Looked like New Zealand were going to win this. And Argentina have come back brilliantly. And boy, it'll be heartbreaking if New Zealand end up losing this game, particularly off the back of getting beaten up badly by the United States yesterday. Been a little bit of criticism in the previous inning that New Zealand perhaps should have tried to bring the runner home and held him up on third. And then we couldn't continue that momentum with the next player going out. So bottom of the ninth, when New Zealand does bat, they're going to need at least three runs to keep themselves in the game and four to probably win it. That's assuming that they can pick up the next two outs without Argentina adding to that score. 24 minutes after 10. Fascinating games the old baseball and softball, Ben. Yeah,
2: and I have a feeling that this is going to be one of the Black Sox – oh, uh, yeah, the Black Sox, sorry, will uh, – Definitely Rue because in the extra innings they've had, they've had guys on third, they've been that close, just very close. And it feels like it's not necessarily, it's more one of those ones where they feel like they've actually lost it as opposed to Argentina winning it.
1: Yeah, it just doesn't look like New Zealand have got the pitching depth. You know, like in baseball, you've just got to have so much emphasis on good pitching. You, you know, you've only got to look at the scores in softball and baseball to realise that it's a game dominated by the ball and it's dominated by the ball because you rely on good pitching. And we just don't seem to have quite had the accuracy, getting too, we're getting behind on the count too easily. And what I mean behind on the count, too many balls, too many walks. And then, you know, trying to correct it and players then getting bad on ball and advancing the runners. But it's not looking like it's going to be a great world championship again for the Black Sox. And what does it say about softball in this country? Is it in trouble? A lot of our traditional sports, I think, are in a little bit of trouble. You can blame it on administration, blame it on coaching, but I just think there's so many more sports now on offer to young kids. It Might be mountain biking, could be athletics, water polo, swimming, touch, baseball. All sorts of sports for young people to now choose. Lacrosse is another big one. But even things like Ultimate Frisbee. And clearly the one we've already discussed, which seems to be taking I think a majority of young men anyway, and even women, and that is basketball. Hey look, the lines are open. O eight hundred one five oh eight double one. If you do want to phone the programme, you've got anything you do want to add to the discussion, anything you observed from over the weekend? Is the softball getting the coverage it deserves in our mainstream media? If not, why not? Is it because it's a blue-collar sport and we tend to preach just the blue-collar sports? Say media organisations who continue to preach equity, but only when it's in their best interest commercially. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more. You're listening to SENZ. 28 minutes away from 11 o'clock. We're going to bring you some live football around about 10 to 11 tonight. What's the game we're bringing up first, Ben? I've got it here in front of me somewhere. Cameroon-Serbia. Is that the game? Cameroon-Serbia. And then we'll bring you live coverage of South Korea versus Ghana. And then 5am tomorrow morning. Looking forward to this one, mate. These are, this team's niggly to beat, mate. And that is Switzerland. Brazil take on Switzerland. That should be an absolute beauty. And then... Is there an eight o'clock game tomorrow? Doesn't appear to be. Doesn't appear to be an eight o'clock game unless I'm missing it. No, no eight o'clock game. And then eight o'clock Wednesday morning it will be England taking on Wales. Should I give you the good news or the bad news on the softball, Ben? There's it's Portugal Uruguay tomorrow. Oh, is it Portugal Uruguay? How come that's not on my system? Maybe it is. Maybe I've got to go up more. Dunno, do I? Oh, no, Portugal-Uruguay, yeah, Group H game, 8 o'clock. It seems strange that they don't have the four games on. That should be a beauty too, South American flair versus European flair with that sort of Spanish influence across both or Portuguese influence across both countries. And not good news for the Black Sox men's softball team. Um, Argentina now lead New Zealand 11 runs to five. Huge inning, this one, for Argentina. Two outs. No runners on base, but the previous hitter for Argentina hit a home run with bases loaded. And so New Zealand, when this inning does come to a close, will get one more at bat. And they will need to try and find, at the moment, six runs to tie it, seven runs to win it. When you go back through the score sheet, you just cannot see that happening. Really disappointing way to finish for the Black Sox. So much of it, they were in control of this game. The third out does come for Argentina, and now it comes down to the batting of this White Sox team. Lost to the United States, a loss to Argentina. I'm not sure how that plays out in regards to what they need to do to try and make some sort of semi-final to give themselves any chance of winning their eighth softball world championship. It is 25 minutes away from 11. If you do want to phone the program or text the program, you can text us here on 8833. You can phone 0800 150 811. Happy to take some calls. Anything that you wish to discuss, any observation from over the weekend. I see here that we've put out on Twitter Do December babies deserve both a birthday present and a Christmas present? Well, why shouldn't they? I've got no, a few people have had their. Kids have had their birthday on Christmas Day or the 26th or 28th around that sort of Christmas period. My partner is a Christmas Day baby. Are they? She. She. Oh, sorry. They. <laughs> Are they? Your partners. Yeah. Well, these days, who knows, Ben? You're an attractive man. You might have more than one. I don't know. Um, no, I, no, no, I, no, no, I do know. No, no,
2: no, no, don't, don't say that because I'll get in trouble now. Oh, of
1: course you will. Of course you will because. Yeah, okay, I get it. I won't go there, Ben. I won't go there at all, mate.
2: I'm expecting an apology <laughs> off I, air after that.
1: I apologise, Ben. Um, if you're listening, Ben's absolute... He doesn't stop talking about how wonderful you are. He's only got eyes for one. He's only got eyes for one, okay? I was just joking. Please don't give him the silent treatment for the next year. Please don't. Please don't. I actually saw this really funny meme that someone had sent through, and it was... Um, it was um, Talking to, uh, what was um, Jesus' father's name? God. No, Mary and... I- I've never anyway. read the Bible, so... It might have been. Anyway, he's standing there and he's going, Mary, I'm really sorry. Please talk to me. And Mary says, I'm okay. And then the headline is how the song Silent Night came around, which I thought was quite funny. And it's it's bloke humour, isn't it? It's bloke humour. Um, But it's funny that it's out there because clearly the whole silent treatment thing is is a thing. Um, And every guy seems to laugh at it. So feel a bit better if at times you do get the silent treatment. I I think it's quite common. I think it's quite common anyway. I'm probably going to dig myself a hole hole I won't be able to get out of. Um, So New Zealand at bat, they do have that runner on second, which is automatic in these extra innings. But yeah, we were hoping this Black Sox team would be the first team this year to beat Argentina at home. But it's not looking that way, is it, Ben?
2: Unfortunately, not. Considering as we said just before, you know, they put themselves in a winning position, and yeah, I think you'll look back at this game and it, it should have been one they should have closed out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, disappointing indeed. Disappointing indeed. Uh, you do wonder where softball is in this country. I've got to say, watching the softball, I haven't watched some softball for a while and now being involved in the tuatara, I've got to say I prefer the baseball. I think the baseball is just, I don't know, I think there's just a little bit more going on in baseball. I just don't think you see as much contact in baseball as you perhaps do in softball. I think the dimensions in baseball are more competitive base placement in softball a lot shorter and that is the first out for the Black Sox so two more outs and Argentina will wrap this game up 22 minutes away from 11 so this game has gone on a long time. Uh, Michael Holdsworth has texted in and I always enjoy your text Michael I do appreciate it. He says I'm swimming in the Special Olympics for 32 years Um, been to two Winter World Games in Special Olympics and one Asia and Pacific Games. Now good on you Michael Tough sports for me, mate. Really, really hard sport. Arguably the toughest. Technique-based sport, non-weight-bearing, so coaches can push you a lot harder. And to give you an example of how technical it is, go to the Auckland Champs, find the best top six or seven girls who are, say, 10 years of age, and you can be this muscle-bound superman who's come into swimming late, And guarantee the 10-year-old girl will beat you and beat you comfortably. Yet you go to, say, track and field, and you might come up against a 10-year-old girl, 10-year-old boy or whatever, and you've got a bit of athletic ability, running ability, you will probably beat them. Same in the sport of cycling, not swimming. You can have these absolute stick insects in the water with good technique who just will kill you. I always compare it to golf. You can play all the golf in the world you want, but if you don't have a good swing, you won't shoot a low score. Swimming's the same. Unless you've got good technique, you can become swim fit, but you won't become swim fast. And unfortunately, a lot of the technique is based on flexibility, and youngsters have that flexibility. As you get older, harder and harder to maintain it. And so very hard to start swimming and trying to be competitive later in life. I think there's only a couple of sports where I think you could jump across, and that might... It, you know the latest you could probably leave it would be 15 or 16 gymnastics because of the flexibility there and the strength There is a little bit of a crossover between kayaking but makes you a good swimmer doesn't make you a world class swimmer in fact I don't know too many athletes that have made it in swimming coming into the sport having not swum and coming into the sport at say 16 or 17 and going on and achieving great things in the sport And that's what I think makes it tough is the fact that you're swimming at 10 or 11 and you're almost an elite athlete at that age group with the number of sessions and the amount of volume and work that you are doing and the level of intensity. Tough, tough game. We'll take a break. You're listening to SENZ. Coming up to 14 and a half minutes away from 11 o'clock shortly, we will bring you live commentary here on SENZ and across SEN Australia, Cameroon taking on Serbia. Then it will be South Korea, Ghana at 2 o'clock, followed by Brazil, Switzerland at 5 a.m., and then this absolute beauty between Portugal and Uruguay. So the New Zealand men's softball team have been beaten by Argentina 11 runs to five. It went to two extra innings. And Argentina got the job done. Beaten badly yesterday by the United States, the Black Sox. And I understand, though, the United States were beaten today by Venezuela, Ben. Sorry, it was the Czech Republic. Czech Republic, who New Zealand beat on opening day. Correct. 6-3. Wow. Okay. So it's not over yet, necessarily.
2: No, it's, uh, it's going to be one of those ones where, you know, it's, I think the simple equation is New Zealand have to win those next two games in their group yeah it's as simple as
1: that yep must win and win them well yep do they have the pitching depth that is the key question Ben didn't look good tonight did they no a lot have of to hits
2: really bounce back and you hope walks. in front of a home crowd they can
1: yeah a lot of walks a lot of hits um, love them to do it got a lot of time for Mark Sorensen. always makes himself available to the media puts his heart and soul into it wears his heart on his sleeve um, never get the coverage they deserve Never been really recognised at the Halberg Awards. Seven World Championships, I don't think they've ever won it. Um, Yeah, you know, I think we do prejudice them. I think it's historically because they're blue-collar and white-collar sports in this country have historically been cricket. Not dissimilar to with Rugby League over the years. Rugby always tends to get all the accolades and the acknowledgement. Rugby League, oh, they're the poor cousins. They come from the other side of the track. You know, and I think there has been that class structure to a degree sometimes when it comes to recognition of those particular sports. Anyway, we're going to take our final break. We're going to come back. We are going to bring you that game between uh, Cameroon and Serbia. Ben Francis, been a privilege and a pleasure. We will do it all again tomorrow night. And we've got your dart show tomorrow. 9 till 10. The Ocky At the Ocky At the Ocky. There you go. At the Ocky Darts between 9 and 10. You want to listen to something different, man? Listen to the dart show been a privilege and a pleasure, do take care. I'm about to get my car and discover more orange cones around this magnificent city of Auckland. I see there is already one part of the motorway which is blocked, so I will have a detour. Absolute and utter morons.